All right, Yan, we're at the end of 2019. We're doing another of our yearly recaps. And uh, we're, we're going on almost five years of this. Can you believe that? That's awesome, isn't it? It is awesome. It is. Um, I get down and I get burnt out sometimes, and I'm going to talk more about that later. But at the end of the day, I think it's kind of amazing. Um, the Just the amount of data we've been able to kind of compile and put out there for as a time capsule of love for, for these people. Hopefully they appreciate it. Hopefully our listeners appreciate it. I was uh, curious how you spent the uh, holidays. You were posting pictures. You're in a far off land, some country or some area. I don't think I've ever, I don't know anything about. Tell us where you were. I worked, the, the, the bank had all the consultants be off for three weeks. Nice. And unless you got an exception to work for the first week. Uh, so on the Thursday of the first week, I flew out to Switzerland and went to my sister's for a couple of days. And then we drove to the Chartreuse area of France, uh, not too far from where uh, Ariana's husband's family is from. Mm. Mm. And so we stayed, in the, we stayed in the chalet up in the French Alps. Gosh. Wow. Wow. Was it just beautiful? Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. It was fantastic. There was, I mean, there was ski stuff all around us, but I didn't ski, so. <laughs> Have you skied? I've been on a dry slope once, but I haven't been on actual snow yet. You know, we'd need to know where the nearest hospital is first. <laughs> Because <laughs> then that way folks know where they're visiting me after I do what I do best. <laughs> oh, that's great. I uh, I grew up skiing a lot because, you know, growing up in Utah, we, we were right at the mouth of Little Cottonwood Canyon. So the slopes were only about 20 minutes away. And I went all the time, but I was a pretty reckless skier as a kid. And then uh, I've only been a couple of times in the, the last... I don't know, 30 years or so, including earlier this year, we went up for a work excursion thing. And, uh, oh man, I, I wiped out all the time. The first time down the hill, I fell literally on my face and like my glasses kind of smashed into my face and there was some blood and my, everything's kind of knocked all over the place. And Farrah and I are leaving the next day, I think, or a couple of days later to go on vacation to Mexico and I just thought the last thing I need to do is break something right before I go on a trip to Mexico. So I kind of, I, I went, I took it easy. I'm just a big puss. I, I think I'm just too big. I'm not cut out for skiing anymore, but maybe that's just me being a wimp. I don't know. Well, I mean, if it, I, I think it, over the last several, you know, over the last few <laughs> years or so, I've done toes, I've done thumb, I've done... <laughs> Shoulder, I've done ankle. Yeah. Actually, the, yeah, uh, I've done a, a concussion. The cu- mm-hmm. concussion and the ankle were within a few months of each other. Ugh. Actually, literally weeks. Jeez. Yeah. You. Um. Yeah. We're. I think we're. We probably need to take it easy. What'd you do for New Year's? I really didn't do much. You put out our Tom Crusier episode. That's how you spent your New Year's Eve. <laughs> yep basically yeah well good i um so i've been uh thought i've been debating about how much i want to say and i've decided i don't really want to get into it but uh 
bottom line is that 2019 for me personally was actually a very rough year. It got worse, unfortunately, last month. And so the Christmas is always nice, you know, Christmas morning with the kids and Farrah and I going to see a lot of the good movies and being with family and the time off and all that kind of stuff is always nice. But I'm afraid mine this year was kind of tainted. I was, uh, I was in a bit of a funk. Still am. And uh, so hopefully, uh, hopefully things will better themselves soon. I was thinking about this and I don't want to sound overdramatic. I was thinking about this the other day. I, I think, and I'm not exaggerating, literally every day of 2019 um, felt unstable, felt uh, tense or unsettled or, uh, you know, not, not, in, not in a good place. Some days were, some days I didn't notice it quite as much, but at every, literally every day within the calendar year of 2019 were, uh, was a little bit chaotic for me in my life. So anyway, hopefully we can get past that. Uh, okay, so let's talk about some of the highlights of the year. Um, some of the things we kind of introduced this year. I thought deep dives, these deep dives have been a lot of fun. What do you think? Are they too uh, much work for you? Are you okay with this? Oh, I'm great with it. I mean, it, it does take more than a, a normal episode. Yeah. But, uh, oh, they're great. I, I um, good. I, it's funny because whenever we, every normal episode, for anyone who cares about our process here, I go back and listen to the interview and I take all my notes about, you know, play this song here, cut this part out, play this here, move this around, whatever it is. And then I send you all the cues. But I don't do that for the deep dives because it seems pretty self-explanatory. Whenever we start talking about the first song in the album, play the first song in the album. When we talk about the second, you play the second. But uh, those seem to be – so in my mind, I'm always thinking, well, that should be easy to just like plug the songs in and we're done. But you work extra hard on those. And I feel – on the one hand, of course, I'm grateful like everything you do. But on the other, I worry that you're stressing out or that you're – overdoing it or anything i don't want you to get burnt out or frustrated no i i don't stress out so much okay okay good um something else i was thinking about doing and this isn't going to be a regular thing i don't think but periodically and this is okay if it's okay with you i don't think i've even no we did talk about this recently i might start doing the occasional i'll call them panel a panel discussion how this started is as i think most of our listeners know i've this last year, been on the Pods and Sods uh, podcast a lot. And Eric Miller invites me on a lot to do these six packs that he's been doing for various artists, various uh, soundtracks or whatever. Well, one thing that comes up is that some people have asked him to do themes and he's not really interested in doing themes. And so Brad Page, our buddy from the I'm in love with that song podcast, was like, it's why a don't fantastic voice? Yes, the oh, that smooth, buttery goodness. He's so great. Good things are happening to him, by the way. I'll talk about that more later, but I'm so proud of him. He's the best. Um, anyway, he suggested to me, what if we did some kind of a themed six pack? And I thought, well, I don't want to steal Eric's idea, but maybe if we got three other podcasters on and we picked a topic like best rock docs or best rock books or best live acts, or whatever, um, we could have, I would just sort of facilitate a panel discussion, and we could bring on other podcasters of various popularity. Some people may have thousands of listeners, may some may only have a couple hundred, 
But I thought it might be a fun way for podcasters to sort of network, get to know each other, get turned on to other shows, discuss hot topics that we like. And um, so we're talking about doing, uh, I think it's going to be Brad, Eric Miller, and Ben Montgomery from the uh, Records Revisited podcast. I think the four of us might do some kind of a rock doc panel discussion at some time, uh, at some point. So hope, uh, I don't know, I hope that's okay with you. I asked you if you wanted to be a part of it. You said you didn't think you wanted to do this one, but may, you can join us. Uh, hopefully it's not too much work, but I think we might do those occasionally. You're good with that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Okay. Um, I mentioned me being on pods and sods a lot. I, I assume there's just tons of crossover, but in case there isn't, if anyone is interested, the pods and sods network of podcasts, Eric Miller um, has been doing this last year, a lot of what he calls six packs picks an artist, picks some people to come on the show and pick a couple songs that we like and debate and discuss. And I've been on there quite a few times this year. So if anyone is not aware of that, but they love the sound of my voice, which would be odd, you're welcome to go check those out. And then lastly, I want to mention uh, these daily polls that I started doing out of the blue are kind of taking off. Do you get that feeling too? Yeah, there seems to be quite a lot of interaction with them. Yeah. Which is great. I know. It kind of shocked me. So here's the deal. I've always found polls, especially on social media, to be so provocative. I love voting and that kind of stuff, especially when you just have to tap. Tap one thing and then uh, your vote is counted. I just find that stuff so fascinating and so provocative. So I've wanted to introduce that on our Facebook page before, and I've done it, but um, I don't always get a lot of reaction. You know, I'll do one... And I've realized, I think it's because I'm usually polling people about what they think of the show. Like, do you like, how do you feel about long episodes? How do you feel about bonus content? How do you feel about the genre of music that we cover, the name, whatever it might be? I always like kind of crowdsourcing information. And so I'll throw it out there and I'll get, we'll do one and we'll get like a hundred responses. And I'll think, oh, that's fun. And so I'll do one the next day and we'll get like half as much. I think, oh, maybe, maybe... I feel like I'm naked in a room full of my friends. Maybe maybe I shouldn't do this. So I'll throw one more out there and we'll get even half as many answers there. I think, okay, never mind. I don't, uh, I'll, I'll stop bothering everybody. But um, I was driving to work one day. I think this was right around October, end of October, Halloween maybe. And I was listening to an Elvis Costello album, Trust. And there's a song on there that I'm blanking on the name of, but Glenn Tilbrook from Squeeze guests on that song and i was thinking boy that's a match made in heaven and i thought i wonder what which one of those bands do people have you know the most affection for who do they like the most so i threw it out there on the on the facebook page and we got like 150 responses or something i thought wow i had no idea that that was going to happen so like i said about the other stuff the next day i thought well let's try it again let's see if people like this one too and i think the next one was rick springfield and billy squire and that got 150 or so votes, maybe more. And I thought, well, I'll, I made myself a, a rule. I'll just keep doing this as long as we get over 100 responses. If I notice it start to taper off, I'll quit because that means then I'm embarrassed because I've put myself out there and no one cares and I don't uh, want to feel that way. So, but that never really happened. Uh, I will maybe 10 or so have come in under the 100 vote threshold, but. Um, 
for the most part, we get a re- and it's a great way to just stay engaged with all of you. I'll see people, the names of people voting, and I'll think, I don't even know who these people are. They don't uh, comment very often. I don't hear from them, but they're engaged in our Facebook page. That's huge, you know? Hopefully that means something. I don't know. But um, I, I will give you a little hint. Over the, When it's the holidays, like the week of Thanksgiving or these last couple of weeks, I throw out more sort of obscure or um, um, ones that I don't think are going to get a lot of responses, but I think might be interesting. And some of you guys show up for that, too. Ice, Ice House versus Icicle Works got like 200 and something votes. I thought that one was just going to die. But it, anyway, you guys are great. Thank you for supporting us and, our, and staying engaged with us. What did, did you have any highlights from this year that you wanted to talk about, Yen? Let's see. I'll cover that in the in my countdown. Okay. Okay. Yeah. One of the things we should probably talk about it was being on the Hall of Fame. We talked about that a lot earlier in the year, but that's still I don't know what the what the response or the reaction to that happening has been, but just as a feather in our caps, that's pretty killer. You know? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's pretty killer. Okay, so we'll start. I can't remember. We're going to recap the last quarter. I think the first episode of this quarter would have, that we haven't talked about yet is George McRae. And there's so much to talk about in this episode between recapping the last three months, counting down our top 10, our listeners' top five, answering all of your questions that I don't want to dwell on too. Some of these don't require tons and tons of time to you know, get into deeply. But uh, George was probably one of those. I'd always had a fascination with George. I think that's really fascinating that you've got out of the gate an accidental, practically number one, hit worldwide hit and what do you do how do you follow that up and in his case he put out a lot of great music that didn't get any attention and i thought the thing i'll never forget was when he was talking about uh when his music career started to die down he was the fish man in a supermarket yeah wow how how can that be you know how do how do that just must be a wild roller coaster for people to go through in their lives. Go from a number one song to recommending fish at a supermarket. Crazy, you know? Yeah. I think he deserved better from the U.S. audiences, but Disco does pretty well in Europe. Yeah. He's yeah, in the right place. I think he is too. And when I, a couple, like the following week, when we, I think it was when we were talking to Marcia Wash or Martha Wash. And she was saying so many disco acts like that, if you're wondering where they've gone, they've all moved to Europe because they can sustain a living and a career over there where they can't in the States. And so I'm really happy for him that he was able to do that. Um, and it, as always, Jan, if you if I skip over you or I don't give you enough time, just insert yourself. Interrupt me. Sure. Okay. Uh, the Eddie Money tribute with Steve Eddie Rice, that was coming off the back of the Rick Ocasek inter- tribute with uh, Fred Pineau. I think these are fun. I want to, I, if I could do another poll about the podcast versus an artist, I would ask this question. I am curious if people prefer having a colleague of the, of the person who passed away on the show, if possible, or if it's more interesting to have a fellow podcaster or thought leader like a Steve Spears from uh, Stuck in the 80s. The reason I ask is because if I'm talking to Steve, I feel like it's 
where it's a little more open for us to be critical. Not that I would be like overly critical, but maybe to talk about the highs and the lows of one of these people's careers. Whereas if you're talking with Fred or Steve, you probably can't go there or shouldn't go there. So I am curious what other people think. If you think it's more interesting to hear from someone who knew them, or if it's more interesting to hear from another podcaster, you guys tell me. What do you think, Yan? So I thought in particular this one and the one with Fred were great, and both of them did a, a fantastic job of outlining what Eddie and Rick meant to music. Yeah, in yeah. In particular, uh, Fred to that area, to the to the Boston music scene. Good point. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a perspective that you don't get anywhere else. And so, uh, I, I, yeah, I think there's a unique, we have a unique opportunity there. Okay, Martha Wash, super great lady. Um, I I will say, I notice from the download numbers that our listeners don't seem to like R&B as much. And uh, try as I'm, <laughs> if you haven't noticed, yes, 80s Alternative is kind of my sweet spot. But I really try to cover all kinds of genres and decades and everything on here because I just want it to be a little bit for everybody you know I don't want to discriminate I, I think we would probably have way more listeners if we made this like an 80s specific podcast or called it the 80s or 80s alternative or whatever and uh, I and I don't do that because I purposely want to touch on all of my interests and all the other genres so I, it's it kind of bums me out, I'll be honest, when I can see that, you know, someone like a Ronnie DeVoe or a Martha Wash uh, don't get the downloads that everyone else gets, probably because our listenership maybe doesn't care about R&B as much. But if you did uh, open yourself up to listen, and I, I'm not criticizing, I'm that way too. I don't, I delete the Mark Maron episodes of people that I, I'm not interested in. I get it. I hope that even if it's somebody like a Martha Wash that you may or may not know that well or think you're interested in, that there's still really interesting content in this conversation. I hope so. So uh, anyway, I, I think you have some strong feelings about Martha that we may be talking about later. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. She made my top 10 for the year, so I'll save, save that okay. for then. Good, good. Um, and I did want to say her, it's, it's not new anymore, but... The album she put out five or six years ago, and I'm suddenly blanking on the name, but it was more of like an organic Sheryl Crow type rock record is fantastic. Her version of Aerosmith's Dream On is like I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. It will take you to church. Wasn't it great? Oh, so good. Yes. You did? Good. Me too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Love it. So good. So anyway, I hope uh, I hope people can open their interest to R&B. There were some issues. George and Martha were both booked through the same publicist, and uh, he felt very strongly that he wanted it out by a certain time because they were trying to book cabins for the disco cruise, and they were sort of there was a time frame that they were trying to kind of market or promote. Uh, to get people to order. Now, I have no idea. I, my hunch is that not many of our listeners booked cabins on the disco cruise as much as we would have liked. I know I would love to do that. I'm not in a position to do that. But um, that happens sometimes with publicists. They have an expectation that you, a certain episode is going to be out by a certain time. And uh, I always try to have like, I don't know, six to seven to 12 interviews in the can. And so Sometimes it's like a, I've said this before, it's like putting a puzzle together. 
I have to move pieces around. Okay, well, if Martha needs to be out by a certain day, that means I need to bump everything else back. And it makes the most sense to put George and Martha back to back. And so let's uh, move some things around. So anyway, if you're ever wondering about process, that's part of it. Uh, the promo with Ian Anderson. I consider myself very lucky to be able to have um, the opportunity to talk to one of my musical heroes, even though I'm pretty sure he doesn't remember me or know my name or, or know who, who we are or what he's talking about or anything. But we've been able to have him on here twice, and that's really amazing to me. Um, and you uh, you have a connection with Ian, don't you, Ian? Well, uh, no, but he is, he is from, originally from Dunfermline. And so he is part of the music scene that, that came out of here. I mean, if you think about it, you've got uh, Big Country, The Skids. Isn't Nazareth from Nazareth, there too? Nazareth, yeah. yeah. Uh, so my dad was at school with the, the original guitarist sister. And my uncle was at school with the stage manager. Oh, that's wild. I keep... Yeah. Uh, You've mentioned this for years. I need to just suck it up and get Nazareth on the show because we. I need to. I need to play on that connection, you know. Plus, I love them. That would be a, when I was out there visiting you a couple of years ago. We went to that Dunfermline uh, museum, and there was all that Nazareth stuff in there. That was so yeah. cool. I need and to get Stuart them on. Adamson's guitar as well. Yes, yes. You took me on like a visual history of big country. We were seeing like where he grew up, where he lived, where, where things were recorded. That was incredible. Okay, let's see. So Ian Anderson, uh, he's, I don't know how much, I, again, I don't know that anyone, you know, pre-ordered his book, but hopefully it's fun to hear from Ian. Plus, um, he's the kind of guy that you say, hi, Ian, and then he talks the rest of the time. And I have all these questions that I've always wondered, but they never feel right to ask because he's on a roll and you kind of don't want to interrupt. So maybe one of these days I can get him to come back and talk, you know, calmly and do a deep dive with me or something like that. Okay, Darren Hill from the Red Rockers. This is uh, this was one of our better episodes, I think. He was so fantastic. A huge thanks to our listener, Derek Johnson, for helping to put that together. Derek put me in contact with Darren, I think, over a year before that interview actually happened, maybe even longer, a uh, year or two. And... Um, it's one of those things, and this happens where people will say, yeah, sure, and then you don't hear from them for months, and you bug them, and hey, I'm still here, I'd still love to talk. Uh, yeah, we'll do it, we'll do it, and then you don't hear from them again. Stephen Perkins, the drummer for Jane's Addiction, I've emailed him like 12 times, and he's replied maybe three times saying, sure, let's do it, and then he disappears for long stretches. And I was afraid Darren might do that, but that wasn't the case. And he was great. He told all these stories. I couldn't believe all the good information we were getting about the replacements, specifically about Paul Westerberg wearing the different letters on his t-shirts during that ill-fated tour and what they meant and that Darren knew. And Rocky Erickson had just passed away. So we got to talk about Rocky and um, all this. It was, that was just a dreamy, dreamy interview. You liked that one too, right? Oh, he, he had, so much good information, some good stories. Yeah. And, uh, oh, I like him superb. Yeah. Great guest. I agree. So many good stories. Um, okay. After Darren was the soundtracks, uh, another soundtrack episode with Reliving My Youth. Those are always fun. I'm so glad that people like Noel and Suburban Underground, Drew and Steve, even though I absolutely cannot 
I hate their politics, but whatever. I love you, Drew and Steve. Um, they uh, are, invite me on their shows to cover these kinds of topics. It's so fun. Noel and I recorded another one a few months ago. I think it's the top 10 Yacht Rock songs. And that hasn't come out yet. I don't know when it will. And we're recording, I think, another one. We're going to try to in the next week or two. And I think we're going to do duets. So anyway, it's it's been great having a relationship with those guys. I'm really grateful for their friendships. Uh, Rocco Barker. Okay, Flesh for Lulu. Let's talk about this one. I think I mentioned this on the interview with him. So my, when I very first had the inkling to start this podcast in March of 2015, I uh, emailed... I, I, this is this could, will come up later too because one of our listeners asked how this all got started. I'll give you some information. Many of you have already heard this. One night, I can't sleep. I'm laying in bed. It's like one o'clock in the morning, and I can't. I'm not tired. So I go in on the computer and I think, what if I just emailed some of the bands that I would be interested in interviewing for this podcast if I ever decided to start one? And so I emailed nine bands, and then I finally got tired and I went to bed. And the next morning, four of those bands replied and said yes. And one of them replied and said no. And so I thought, well, now I have to figure out how to do a podcast because I've got four people on the hook willing to be interviewed by me. Um, in case anyone's interested, the very first response that was a yes that I got was from Shoes, Jeff Murphy of Shoes. Anyway, uh Around that, I also wanted to interview, or I wanted to email Flesh for Lulu, because I, they were one of the main bands that was on my wish list or goal list of people to get on the show. And I thought, uh, I better wait until I get up and running. They may, some bands may be okay with saying, sure, I'll let you interview me for this possible podcast that may come out one day. But I, for some reason, I got it in my head that Flesh for Lulu would rather see something more concrete. So that I'll wait till I go live and then I'll I'll contact them. Well, um, Nick Mason, the lead singer, died like I think before we ever launched our first episode, maybe shortly after, and uh, so that always broke my heart because he was one of the key people that I really wanted to interview. Luckily, eventually we got Rocco on, and that interview was unlike almost everything else we've done. He was another kind of rambler, but in the in the best possible way. He's telling the story from start to finish. And it's crazy, and there's not enough room. There's not many spots where you can squeeze a song in there. We try it anyway a couple of times, but otherwise, maybe it's just best to let these people talk. While it's happening, I'm thinking, I don't know if people are going to like this or not, but hopefully they think this is pretty entertaining, because I do. And luckily, a lot of you did. So um, I, they were one of the inspirations for the podcast from the beginning. I was so glad Rocco allowed, uh, agreed to come on. He works off of Portobello Road, so the next time I'm in London, I'm going to go say hello, and maybe he can make me some glasses. Anyway, amazing. Great, great stuff. Oh, that was excellent, and especially having had the success and then going, turn it, uh, taking that and turning that into success in, a, in, a, in another industry. Mm -hmm. That was a fantastic story. It really was. He was such a good guy. And I heard from a lot of you that sought out the episodes of his reality show on YouTube, but I'm glad you did because they are, they're pretty wild, really funny. Uh, okay, Ruben De Fuentes from the Hollywood Stars. This one was a Paul Underwood pr production, a pup, and I was so grateful. I purposely gave him this one because, as I've mentioned before, 
with Yan doing at least one a week, it's always a lot of work. Whereas uh, Paul doing one a month, he has more time to kind of sit with things and, and take the time to make them great. I thought there was a really interesting episode inside of Ruben's interview, but it was going to need to be excavated. It was going to need to be edited out because there were so many lapses and ums and uhs and he was an interesting dude. He was a lifer of rock and roll and his brain shows it. So, yep. <laughs> right. But yep. he was a really nice guy. There was a really interesting story there. So thank you, Paul, for, I don't know, honestly, if Paul's going to continue to produce with us. I think he might be burnt out, but um, thank you, Paul, for doing that with me. So I thought that was an interesting story. I don't know if I can tell by the downloads that it wasn't everyone's favorite, but there's a really interesting story in there. We just had to find it. Uh, let's see, James Atkin of EMF. So <clears throat> let me tell you about this one real quick. He was a great guy, by the way, and I loved EMF uh, back in the day. I, as I, I've mentioned to many of you who send me requests, if you send me a request for somebody who I have recently seen or heard in another interview, I don't get very excited. It doesn't, if they're like, a, if they're like on a press junket, I've turned down... I probably shouldn't admit this. I've turned down some people here and there because they're doing every podcast and I just am not interested in being one of those podcasts. And this happens a lot with our good friend, I'm so grateful for him, Steve Cooper of the Cooper Talk podcast. Steve and I help each other a lot. And if I'm honest about it, he helps me more, more than I help him. And so I'm really grateful, especially this year. We had probably 10 guests or so this year that were thanks to Steve kind of hooking me up or giving me the heads up that their publicist is poking around or he talked to them. Maybe I would like to talk to them. So thank you, Steve, if you're listening. And James was one of them. James may, went on his show. James went on Reliving My Youth. And normally when that's the case, I don't like to do those kinds of interviews, but I couldn't pass up a chance to talk to EMF. I had to do it. And so I'm so glad that I did because James was such a sweet unassuming guy and he teaches school little kids and yet he's he was and still is sometimes a rock star i can't i can't believe it you like that one too oh man that was awesome can you and just going back to that can you imagine those those kids going to school and having your french class taught oh. by the guy that fronts one of the biggest hits of the early 90s oh, no. No. and most of them from a certain in fact all of them from a certain point on won't have ever even been thought about by, by when that hit was out. Yeah. Uh, wild. Uh, it was, uh, I, I'm, uh, frankly, I'm surprised that he doesn't, he couldn't live off that song. You would think that song would make enough money or generate enough money, but whatever. I'm really, uh, I'm really happy for him. He was a real sweet guy. I do think it's uh, funny. They still perform sometimes and he still wears that like early nineties street gear, clothes that he wore back then i would uh -huh. just think man i i don't think i could keep wearing that costume but it works for him and i'm sure if i went to see them in concert that's exactly how i would want to see them dressed oh he well, i still listen to that even now do you yeah. oh yeah yeah those guys are great um okay cool now next after that was me and georgia talking about kiss and uh, I, I mean, I don't have a lot to say about it. Obviously, I'm totally biased. I think my daughter is wonderful. And I'm so grateful that we have Kiss in common. We have a lot of music in common. She mentioned she loves Billy Joel. She loves Chicago. Um, but Kiss is really the band where she knows every song on every album. And 
everyone's name and all that kind of stuff. And she had been asking for a while if she could come on the show. And I said, yeah, sure, let's do it. So I wanted to do it, but I thought it would take a lot of work because I've always wanted to come up with my own like definitive ranking of Kiss albums and Kiss songs and all that kind of stuff. And so I kept kind of pushing her off like, yeah, we'll do it eventually because I got I got to really spend some time and focus. And eventually I just thought, screw it. Let's just I'll go with what's off the top of my head and we'll make it work. And I was so impressed with how prepared she was. And she knew what she was talking about. She knew how to come on the on the microphone and uh, turn it up and be engaging and funny and interesting. And she nailed it. I was really glad. And my sons said they wanted to do it, but I don't know that they have the the wherewithal to prepare as well as she did for that. So maybe we'll do another one some other time. Maybe not. She and I are talking about doing another kiss episode at, one, at some point. Um, I will say, and I, this was on purpose. I purposely did not want to bother you and bog you down with something else to edit. So I just turned on the recorder and we did, we did it. And uh, I'm, and I played the music in real time while I was sitting here talking. And I was pretty happy with how that turned out. Thankfully, you and Pat Francis, who was having to be sick and in bed that week or something, listened to it, and he tinkered around with it too. And you guys both did, and I, or he did, and maybe you offered to, whatever it was, a kind of cleaner, sleeker version ended up going out. So thank you. I don't think Pat listens to this, but if he does, thank you, Pat. And uh, thanks to you. And you offered to edit the next one. I don't want to put that kind of stuff on your plate, but maybe we'll see. I just don't want you to worry about that. Oh, I don't mind. I'm quite happy to. Okay. You say that, but I, uh, I'm so grateful for you that if I ever, if I wore out my welcome or I burned you out or whatever, I would just never forgive myself. So I try uh, not no. to do that. <laughs> There's no chance of that, Joan. Okay. 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 Good. Good. All right. Juliana, Juliana Hatfield. So let's talk about this one for a minute. Um, while it was happening, this was a, I did this interview around the time of Chris Stamey and Richard Lloyd and a couple others that I'm going to touch on later. And to me, it didn't, it felt like at that time I was on a bit of a cold streak. I was on a, a slump. Richard and Chris, I didn't think had gone well. And suddenly I feel like I'm not connecting very well with people. And I thought maybe I lost something. Maybe it was because these guys are mostly sort of indie or, you know, alternative rock. Maybe that's it. Maybe I shouldn't be talking to people who are quite so indie. I don't know. Um, it just felt like I wasn't connecting. And she seemed especially kind of spacey. And I, and I wondered if like over medicated or something like that. And uh, I thought, oh, this is, I'm on a, I'm on a slump here. Well, then I went back and listened to it, and I realized that it was fantastic, that she is just a funny, wonderful, quirky personality, and that that's great. We want that kind of thing. I was so in kind of my own head at that time, I didn't see it for what it was. And so I was really, really happy with how it came out, because she ended up being a really fun, nice lady, just a very unique personality. But that's great. We like unique personalities. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, for me, I, I think the quirky ones are are, are the best. Yeah. I'm thinking back to Alana Miles for for the year that that we had her on. And she was one of my faves of that particular year. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I she was uh she was a mess. Anyway, continue. I I really liked the way Juliana Hatfield had her stuff set up where she was doing some of her own material and uh -huh. covers, her own mm -hmm. material 
covers. And she's got the perfect voice for singing Olivia Newton-John covers. I agree. And I, it was really heartening to me that I heard from so many people who got turned on to the Olivia Newton-John out covers album and the police album. In fact, I think, I think I heard from more people who went out and bought Olivia's covers album more than the police covers album. And I never would have guessed that. So as always, ultimately the point of all of these is to turn people on to musicians they may not have thought about for a while. And so if you guys are voting with your wallets and you're actually buying music that's out there, God bless you, because that is exactly what we're hoping to accomplish more than anything here. So I'm really, I love when I hear from you people and um, you tell me that you bought some stuff. Uh, our good friend, well, he goes by Beta on Facebook. I don't know if he wants his real name put out there, but Beta will set, will post pictures of your podcast sells music and he's bought like every CD that some guest we've had on has put out and uh, he posts pictures of it. And I'm just so grateful for stuff like that. Thank you everyone who contributes. Um, let's see. Okay. Tom Kiefer. So Tom, I had been wanting to have Tom on for a long time because I think he has a really interesting story. And when it finally worked out, when I saw this new album was coming out, I reached out and um, his people said, yeah, you can do it, but you can only have like a half hour. And uh, I thought, well, that's not quite enough time to cover everything that I want to cover, but I'll do my best. And um, I don't know. I tried to when I when it's when time is short like that, and this will come up again in a minute with with uh, promo modes. I'm still trying to figure out the best way to cram to get the best information out of these people in such a short amount of time. And to me, it's not always to say. So tell me about the creation of your new album or tell me about your songwriting process or what was it like working with this producer or whatever. Sometimes that stuff is good, but most of the time I want to get in the weeds. Hey, I saw you in concert and you were so good and I could tell that your voice was holding up. How do you do that every night? You know, just try to make it a little bit different. So I don't know if that interview would have been any different or any better or any deeper if we had gone an hour, but I was glad that we got what we got out of it. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, I thought. I mean, for for the amount of time we got, I thought we got plenty. I mean, he's a straight up nice guy. Yeah, yeah, pretty well adjusted when you consider. I mean, I I've come to realize that so many. I mean, not everybody, because a lot of people got really wrapped up in the '80s hair metal or whatever genre, gangster rap, whatever genre they were a part of. A lot of people get really wrapped up in that, but a lot of them are just kind of putting on a uniform and going to work. And in some, and Tom, I think in some ways. That's what he was. He, uh, yeah, he liked being in, you know, a sex symbol during the 80s hard rock phase or whatever. But he was also a legitimately talented musician. And he just put on his, his uniform and went to work every day. And uh, was, you know, he partied, but he was also kind of a normal guy at the end of the day, too. So anyway, I like that one. I'm glad we had him on here. Uh, okay, let's talk about Art Alexakis from Everclear. I really like this one. And this came also around that sort of dark period that I was talking about a minute ago where I was concerned that none of my interviews were going well. This one happened on Halloween night. I remember because he was he was late because, uh, I don't know, he forgot or whatever. And then I told him we only, we had in that we were going to go an hour, which I cleared with his publicist ahead of time. And he was like, oh, man, I don't talk to anybody for an hour. I didn't even talk to Rolling Stone magazine for an hour. 
And uh, oh my god, I did, yes, (laughs) and it was so good, it was, thank you, yes. And I thought, okay, well, I and I said to him, I was like, well, look, I'll just keep going and you tell me when you're ready to get off. And he never did, and thankfully, right around an hour, I thought, okay, well, I got what I wanted, I'll get you out of here. But during our conversation, he had to like check his with his wife to make sure that his Halloween costume costume was right or something like that. Anyway, he was a super entertaining, fun guy. I will say that he's one of the artists that, and this is going to come up in one of the questions we got. Um, in some sense, I learned to appreciate Everclear better after talking to him um, because it was fun to hear those songs again. I hadn't done it for a long time. On the other, you do realize that most uh, Everclear songs sound the same or have like a similar style that sort of staccato uh guitar sound almost all not all he said 30 percent. it's probably more than that but anyway a lot of everclear songs have the same sort of structure to them but that's okay they're great songs and uh and i was so glad i needed that interview to go well because i needed to get out of my funk from this month or two of really what i thought were pretty bad uh interview experiences but i um I have to, I'm going to touch on more deeply on that because I come to find out that I'm usually the only one who thinks I'm in a funk. You guys never think that way. And, uh, it's really interesting to me, the dichotomy that goes on in my brain with that stuff. Oh, you, anyway. you often think that, and then you send me the stuff and I edit it <laughs> and, <laughs> and then it's, it sounds much better than you thought. I know it, oh, it, it is so true. It is so true. I'll get into this later. I'm going to touch on this quite a bit because we had some questions about it. But I just uh, I hold myself to a high standard. And in and personally, internally, I feel like I know when I've hit that standard and when I haven't hit it, I kind of beat myself up for it. But like I said, turns out I'm the only one who's aware of where the standard is. Everyone else is just kind of having a good time. And so I'm I need to chill. Speaking of chilling, Mike Watt from the Minutemen. So. That guy yes. is one of the greatest characters in rock, don't you think? Oh yeah. <laughs> he speaks his own his own language. He uh, he says the most the funniest things naturally. He is a trip, and he was another one that happened during this period. And he's I mean he couldn't be any more indie rock than Mark than Mike Watt. So he had been the guitarist for the Stooges, and as we know, Kevin, our friend Kevin Armstrong is the current guitarist for the Stooges. So I actually reached out to Kevin and I said, I'm about to interview Mike Watt. Do I need to know anything? Because Mike seemed like he is such a unique personality that it could almost go sideways. It could be, it could, it could backfire and be bad, especially if, if I worry that I'm not up to the task. And Kevin was like, well, I've just heard that he's a really unique personality. So I was afraid going into this one, deathly afraid that I was going to get kind of exposed again by another like indie rock legend that I was just failing in that way in that way and luckily I didn't it went really really well and there are a lot of people that I go into certain interviews with certain people and I think it's best if I am an expert on this I feel like Mike Watts fan base is so uh discerning that they would be able to smell out a casual fan or somebody who doesn't know his stuff very easily. And that's true for a lot of our guests. And so I think I have to make sure I know what I'm talking about because I don't want some casual fan to be like, this guy is a bum. He doesn't know what he's doing. But luckily, 
you know, when Mike comes into an interview, he picks up the slack and makes it great. He was so fun and entertaining. Oh, he was he was a lot of fun. He was actually a lot of fun to to work through as well. Yeah, good. Okay. He just the things he says and these uh, these words that he makes up like merch instead of merch at a table and uh, Pedro instead of San Pedro and Georgie for George Hurley. Anyway, I just love the I love the words he uses. Uh, okay, let's talk about Walter uh, Walter Egan's deep dive. I uh, here's the deal. I just really have a soft spot for Walter. I, um, in talking to him a couple of times, meeting him once even, I just find him to be kind of a sweetheart of a guy. And I feel like he, in some ways, he lives with a little bit of sadness that his career, I don't know, didn't go a certain way or, and I could be totally wrong or projecting. And I, if I am, I hope he doesn't hear this and gets mad, but I just really care for the guy. And um, I wanted to give an opportunity to talk with him again, since he and I had a good relationship, and to expose an album that I think is really, really good. And I thought, you know, yes, we could hear the Stevie and Lindsay era again, or I could really just try to expose people to an album that I think is special. And so that's why I wanted to do that one. And I hope it worked out. Um, I hope some people heard something they liked. I know you and I have a lot of affection for Walter. Did you know any of that music beforehand? Yeah. I hadn't heard this album beforehand, but I love it. So yeah. it's on my to-buy list. Good. After Good. after that episode, it was fantastic. It really deserved better than it got. Yeah, I agree. Um, so it's interesting. Uh, I think it was New Year's Eve night. We were, Farrah and I were out to dinner with my brother Steve and his wife Alina and my sister Annie and her husband John. We went to Utah for that whole week between Christmas and New Year's. And the six of us, went, the adults all went out to dinner while the kids were all playing at home. And Alina was asking these really thought-provoking questions. And one of them was, one of them was like, what one word summarizes your year? And so we all went around the table and said what that word, what that word was. And then she said, and this kind of stopped me in my tracks. The question was, Name the best thing you did for somebody else this year. And I thought, I don't know that I have anything. And uh, I couldn't think of what that would be. And as I was saying before, I'm kind of going through a rough time right now. And so I was feeling especially down on myself that uh, I couldn't answer that question with anything very interesting. And then I thought of Walter. And I thought, you know what? Maybe the one good thing or the best thing that I did this year was gave an opportunity for people like Walter to feel loved and to feel like their art matters to somebody and uh, to put into action my passion and interest in their life. I hope that all of these people, whoever they are, comes away from talk, being on our show and thinking, that was a nice experience. Those guys did me right. John gave a good interview, and the podcast sounded great. And I hope that makes a lot of these people feel better about themselves. And I thought, maybe that's the best thing I did for anyone this year. I don't know. And then I thought, too, about other podcasters. Like, I've been given so much with people like BJ Cramp and Pat Francis and Eric Miller and Ken Mills and these 
mentors to us, people who have really, you know, supported us. And I've tried to pay that forward with the Ben Montgomery's of the world or the Brad Pages or the Brian and Sarah Lennon or whatever. So maybe (laughs) it sounds probably weak. I probably didn't do enough, but that was the best I could come up with. And so whenever I think of Walter's episode now, I think of that question. What did you do that was worth anything this year? And I thought, well, hopefully I made at least Walter feel better about himself for an hour and a half. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I, I, I hope that through the things we've done this year, we've turned people on to some music that they, they think about and go, oh, yeah, I want yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, I hope so, too. That's the... That's the end result. I mean, if you can, hopefully we're just, we're touching people through music. We're making their lives better or more interesting or more fun. I really, hopefully, I really hope, hope so. Uh, okay, you Johnny. Know, you, oh, go ahead. You know what happens is when somebody, somebody listens to it and likes it and buys it, they're playing it and they're sharing it with their friends yeah. and going, hey, look, this is good. And yeah. somewhere, somewhere along the line, somebody out of that group might go, oh, that's good. Buy it and share it with their friends hopefully yeah hopefully um okay johnny edwards this was a great episode johnny is probably he is just the quintessential hustle material you know a guy like johnny his story that's the those are the best kind of stories i feel like we tell sometimes i was really knocked out with the story about him buying house and mick jones a foreigner having uh, having several opportunities to talk him out of it or give him a heads up that maybe buying a house right now might not be a good idea because his time in foreigner may come to an end. And Mick never did that until right after they closed. He finally yeah. on the house, they fire him. Poor guy. But he uh, his story was great. And I was shocked by the King Cobra situation. He's in this, he his band, I believe it was Buster Brown, gets hired by Carmine, a piece. Again, I always get them mixed up. I have to remember it's apathy or a piece. I think it's a piece. Carmine, a piece, hires his band and just plasters the name King Cobra on them and says, we'll do an album and you guys go on tour. You just be us. You guys just pretend to be us. That is, I've never heard a story like that. That is crazy. But anyway, I really like the Johnny Edwards story. That was a good one. Oh, yeah, and it totally fits, despite him being lead vocals for one of the most recognizable rock bands of all time. Yeah, yeah. What a, Very much in, this, in, you know, in the same vein as Stu Cook. Yeah. The story need, need, didn't get told so much and need to be out there. That's right, yeah. Or Brian Howe, or, yeah. uh, you know, we've had a few of these people. Um, yeah, great one. And that's going to come up a little bit later in our countdowns. Next up, Joey Sheffield from uh, Fastball. Uh, I got to admit, so David Ace Gutierrez, one of our listeners, he's part of the kind of network or the community here of podcasters. I think most people know him or have seen his comments. I know because he won't shut up about it, what a big Fastball fan he is. And so when I was communicating, (laughs) when I was communicating with their publicist about something else, and the publicist sent me a list of the things that they he was working on. Fastball was on there, and I thought, David's going to love this. Plus, I've wanted to get them on anyway, especially when I found out that Joey was the drummer for Young Heart Attack, uh, which was a band that I thought were amazing that only ever managed the one album. And I'm so glad that I've heard from several people who got really turned on to the Young Heart Attack. 
album. That was probably not the point. I'm sure he was probably hoping that a lot of people would go out and buy the new Fastball, but whatever. I'm just glad you guys picked up on what I was laying down with the Young Heart Attack album because that thing is awesome. Mouthful of Love from like 2003 or something. Anyway, super nice guy. He and I made a really good connection. Uh, he emailed me later and said, you know, the next time I'm in Denver, let's hang out. And it, you know that you're doing something right when you hear stuff like that. So I'm really grateful for Joey. And thanks, David, for inspiring that uh, interview. Oh, that, that was superb. Yeah. Yeah, he was a good dude. Uh, okay, Suburban Underground, I already sort of talked about that. I'm so grateful. We're coming up with another, we're going to do another episode in a few months. I think we were talking about maybe doing like uh, obscure R&B that we really like. So anyway, we'll see, but I, I love those guys. Okay, Prescott Niles from the Knack. So that was another one that was happening during this bleak period. And I was sure while it was happening that it was an absolute train wreck. This is another one of those ones where I'm just like, this is terrible. No one's going to like this. This guy's all over the place. He wants to go album by album, which normally I like to do that with certain bands, but I didn't think the Knack necessarily you know, needed or required that kind of a deep investigation. But he really had it in his mind. He wanted to set the record straight and talk about the Knack uh, to the, in the nitty gritty. He wanted to get it all the full story out there. So when that... Was you liked it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, good good band. And a lot of their stuff, you know, some of their stuff sounded similar to some of their other things. Yeah. Just that you, you listen to that 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 kickoff and you're oh, look, that's the Mac. Yeah. Yeah. So true. I um, so I was I was of the opinion that that thing was horrible, but I heard nothing but total praise from a lot of you. You guys loved it. The numbers were big. He shared it. He was an interesting guy, but he was a lovable guy. And so this is another one of those situations where I was totally wrong. I just thought no one's going to like this. And I had it completely wrong. Everyone liked it from what I can tell. Uh, let's see. Okay. Richard Bush's promo mode from uh, the peace creeps. I struggle with these. I think they're necessary. In fact, I think they're crucial. If we're going to invite these people on our show and we're going to tell their stories, I want them to feel like if they, if they, they contact me later on about some new thing they're doing that I would be supporting them. I feel we owe it to them. And that's what, other than Ian Anderson, that's what every promo mode has been. The get, the person came to me and said, Hey John, I got a new book coming out or I got a new album coming out or whatever new single. And I love them. So I want to give them a, a stage to talk about this. Uh, Robert LaRoche, his new EP is my favorite album of the year. So, but I have, I've struggled to find the right uh, way to make them come across in their best light. Because I personally just don't find promotional conversations all that interesting. So when it gets into, well, this guy produced that, and we brought in this guy, and we did it in this uh, studio or whatever, I kind of glaze over on stuff like that. But that's part of the story. So I am still working on how to help the, our promo mode guests come across as their best selves in these interviews. And I feel like I'm I'm not quite hitting it, but maybe I'm way overthinking it. What do you think? Some of that's good to have, but it's also good to just you know give them a, a space to talk about whatever you want to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I actually particularly like this one. The material was good. It's worth some of your dollars if you mm -hmm. if you're looking to 
spend some cash on some music, can't go wrong with some peace creeps. Yeah. As we've established, I overthink a lot of this stuff, and this is kind of an example of that. Okay. Um, why don't I jump to Tom Crucier and then I'll go back to Chris and Richard because that one's going to take most of the a lot of, of explaining. So Tom Crucier of uh, Life by Night. So during this bleak period, I start losing a lot of hope that uh, maybe I'm not cut out for this anymore. Maybe I don't want to do it anymore. Maybe I've talked to everyone I can think of that uh, that is available to me. Um, maybe I should just quit. And I didn't tell you any of this but I was kind of stewing on it for a while. And BJ Cramp, who I think I forgot to mention, or whenever I do those intros and outros, I record, I want to get them all in one take. And so often, you know this, Ian, I record one and I send it to you and I remember something I forgot to mention. And so I got to go back and record the whole thing in one take again, because I don't want to just send you an insert and the audio is clearly off and everything like that. And I recorded a few, and I think in one of the ones I said that BJ was to thank for that, and I think in the one that went out, I forgot to maybe mention that. Anyway, BJ was, and, and I kind of send music to each other sometimes, and he turned me on to them and uh, one or two other bands, and they were all mostly these one-and-done artists. And I thought, that, would, that might make an interesting show, and it might help me to feel like I can get back on my feet again with this interviewing stuff. But I don't know if anyone's going to care. I don't know if anyone wants to hear an hour on life by night. And so I, my plan originally was to combine two interviews with one and done artists in the same episode as sort of like, I got to, it's me, it's exercise. I got to keep these muscles working. I got to do it somehow, even though I feel like I'm in a slump and uh, let's do it. So the other guy who I was going to interview like an hour before the interview, he canceled and then I have not heard from him since. And that was two or three months ago. And I, so I thought about, well, I'll just hang on to Tom's interview until I can get this series going. And eventually Tom pinged me and was like, hey, how's the podcast coming? Can you tell me when it's going to be out? And I thought, oh, no, I don't want to tell Tom that I don't know when it's going to come out. I'm waiting for these other people. I'll just rush it. We'll just put it out by itself. And thankfully, I think people liked it. And uh, I think I heard from a few people who got turned on to Life by Night. They liked what they heard. I thought it was really interesting. His brothers and Rat, and he plays with Scorpions and Dawkins. The, the story about them doing a bunch of blow on that airplane in first class with the other <laughs> steward, with the other flight attendants and the other passengers just going in and out of the bathroom in first class doing lines of blow. That's one of the best stories we've ever heard. And so I, it totally worked out. Yeah. That was the thinking for Tom Crucier. Uh, and uh, how many people he's played with? It's, uh, he's Robert Tepper. Yes. Uh, superb. Yeah. Yeah, he was a good dude. I'm glad uh, I'm glad it stood on its own and was what it was. And those other one-and-done people may come out. i, I got to keep trying to track them down. Maybe we'll continue with that later. Okay. Let's go back to Chris and Richard. So here's the deal. Uh, Richard, as everyone knows, I think by now, I had been wanting to get him for a long time. Steve Cooper had him on hooked me up with him, gave me his personal email address. And uh, so again, thank you, Steve. In fact, he's responsible for three or four of these other ones. Prescott was another Steve. Juliana Hatfield was another Steve. Oh, and I should say real quick, Johnny Edwards, I think was thanks to one of our listeners, Ty Ray. And I can't remember if Ty told me to go after Johnny Edwards or I went after Johnny on my own 
and realized afterwards that Ty was a huge fan of that Unusual Heat album. And I think I failed to mention that in the episode, and I always try to give credit where it's due. So somewhere in there, Ty Ray helped inspire the Johnny Edwards episode. Ty is the host of the Beats and Eats podcast. Anyway, little plug there. So uh, I interview Richard. I, um, I, I read his book on Audible twice. I've done more homework for this interview than I can than I think I've done for anyone. I'm ready to go. I know he's a unique personality, but that's okay because it's very clear in his book. And we're going to talk about his book. We're going to I'm going to let him be this weird alien that he says he is in his book. We're going to I'm going to give him all the room he wants to just be as strange as he can be. And uh, I sometimes will kick off interviews by saying, "Oh, I saw you in concert on such and such a day, and you were so good." It worked for our Art Alexakis. He loved that. Oh, I remember opening for the Stones and Metallica in San Francisco, and here's the story. Normally it works. And I thought this will be a good one to kick it off with because I saw television and Richard wasn't there. And so we can establish that Richard's not in television anymore and why, and then we can get into the book. And so we did, but it just sort of led to a deeper conversation about television. And I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll get the Marky Moon stuff out of the way now for 10 or 15 minutes and then we can move on to the book and we can get deeper into all of his different philosophies and stuff like that and before we could get there he cut me off and didn't want to do it anymore it's not that it was necessarily traumatic that that happened but it really kicked my confidence in the nuts and i started to question whether i was doing any good so cut to about a month later i'm uh talking to chris stamey in fact i think chris and Fastball uh, were on that same list that that publicist, the same publicist for both, sends me a list. This is what I'm working on. I see Fastball. I see Chris on there. I want to talk to both those guys. And he helped set it up. I start talking with Chris. His new album is old jazz music. It's unlike anything he's ever done, really, that I, in my opinion. And I start asking him about it. And he seems a little to bristle. Like, well, I, you know, I applied the same rules of songwriting to this that I have every other song and that I've written and I notated it on this paper and I did it in this time. And I, I'm just like, Whoa, uh, you're going way in the weeds here of how this is all done. I, I mean, I can tell that's your process. I don't know that everyone's going to think that's interesting. I'm not sure. So I try to ask these questions that I think are a little more interesting. Like, wow, you're, you've always been such a sort of a unique and different songwriter your whole career going back to the dbs what where does that come from why do you think you're different is that how you hear pop music and that kind of well i don't think we're talking the same language here and now these th- in, these things are building up on each other and i should mention a couple hours before i interview chris i find a vid- a clip on youtube of he and richard on a panel discussing cbgb's with some other people and that gets now suddenly my the bad experience with Richard is eating at my confidence even more. These two are friends. They've probably talked. They, uh, Chris is going to be just difficult. And uh, I'm not equipped to handle people like this. And I'm in a slump anyway. Uh, this is going to go bad. And yes, I heard unanimously from so many listeners that said, I didn't think anything was wrong with Chris. thought he was perfectly fine. I didn't think he was annoyed at you at all. I think it, you just had it in your brain that the Richard experience was still eating at you and you are 100% right. I uh, just assumed that because these two knew each other, were part of the same sort of genre, same era, whatever, that I was failing with both of them and I let it get me down. And then, and so after the interview was over, 
you and I talked about this. His publicist and I talked about it a lot. I said, I really don't think this interview is going to do anyone any favors. Hit, not him, not me. I don't think I'm going to run with it. He said, well, I publicist says that's never happened to me before, but if that's how you feel, that's fine. And then I start to worry. Then I feel really guilty that I've, I have this interview with a guy and it's just sitting there and I did all that work for it and he gave me his time and maybe I'm overthinking it. And what's the best way to present this anyway? Because I thought if we cleaned it up, we could put it out there. But then is it boring? Does anyone want to hear this? And if they're bored, are they blaming me? Are they are like, boy, this John guy's just lost it. No wonder he's not Eddie Trunk or you know, Pat Francis or Mark Marin or whatever. He's this guy just doing it in his office at home. He's some, you know, Bush League interviewer. He sucks. He can't get anything good out of Chris Stamey. And Chris Stamey's great. I'm not listening to John anymore. That's what's going through my head. But my Farah, my wife, was like, well, why don't you just put it out and leave the awkward stuff in there so people can tell that it didn't go as you thought? And I thought, well, I don't want to do that because I don't want to vilify him. I'm not trying to make him look bad. I don't want him to think I'm using him as fodder. And she said, no, I think as long as you explain that you didn't, th you thought it was awkward and leave it to your listeners to decide, everything would be fine. So I, that's what we did. And uh, turns out everyone was right but me. It was perfectly fine, and I way overthought it. Is that Was that your conclusion too, Yan? Oh, I, I mean, I did take some of the big, big gaps out, but I think if I took a bit, you know, tidied up a bit more, it would be actually really, really good. See, I was afraid if we cut it out and just left the the regular interview in there, again, people would just have been bored, and then they would have thought less of us. <laughs> I, that's the part that worries me. And I didn't. And I wanted going back to what I was saying about the promo modes. I want people like Chris to feel like they've been presented in their best light. And I, if I'm not doing that, if I'm not asking the right questions, or I'm not touching on the right things to help them feel that way then they're going to come away with a bad taste in their mouth for for us, for the show, for podcasts, whatever. And I was so worried that's what was happening. But um, as everyone has made it clear, I didn't need to worry. So, And maybe we should – I was never going to put Richard out. I was just going to save that in case he ever died. And we could say, hey, guys, here's that awkward interview I did with Richard now that he's not here anymore. But um, BJ, going back to BJ again, he suggested we just put the two together. And I thought, fine. Let's let everyone see. I'm the one who ends up coming away looking dumb in this. Neither of them do. Richard maybe a little bit, but mostly me. So I, I'll just put egg on my own face, I guess. That's what that was. All right. So that's the long story of Chris and Richard. And that's the recap. Anything else you want to say about any of these uh, episodes? No, I mean, I thought if we'd done some regular editing on that combo, it would have been much better. You think so? Yeah, Do you think, but, how would they have sounded if we had just trimmed out all the weirdness and made them just totally streamlined? Do you think they would have just been perfectly fine? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, uh, I won't overthink this anymore. I have to admit, it did kind of make for some fun drama. I mean, I think when that episode came out, uh, people were sort of anxious to hear it. What is this? John's been talking about this. I got to know what's going on. And then, again, unanimously, I hear from people and they're like, that wasn't that big of a deal. I thought you two were going to yell at each other or something. And it's like, no, that's not what's going on. Anyway. Okay. Well, that's the recap of the uh, last quarter. What do, What's your thoughts on these recaps? Yeah. It felt like doing them every two months was too often. But doing them every three months was too much to talk about. 
Should we continue to do recaps? Should we not do these episode by episodes and just do them at the end of the year? What do you think we should do? Oh, I think that quarter, quarterly is fine. Do you? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I'll throw another poll out there since you guys all love polls now. Um, what you guys think? How often do you think we should do recaps? When we first started doing them, the download numbers were as big or bigger than some of our biggest uh, uh, guests. But now they've sort of tapered off. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know what you guys want, but I want to try and help get us there. Okay, well, let's count down our top 10 episodes. I think we're going to have some crossover here. Um, I'll go first, and you can do – you be the big grand finale. Okay. Um, the number 10 is always the hardest one, and um, there were a lot of people sort of vying for this one. I really liked Darren Hill. I really liked Art Alexakis. I really liked Brian Vander Ark of the Verf Pipe. I think if there is one – uh, episode we put out this year that might be underrated or unheard of or unsung, it's that one. I can understand if you thought Verve Pipe, that's not a band I like or no, I'm not going to listen. That one I will say pretty confidently, I think you missed a fun one if you skipped over Verve Pipe because that one was great. Uh, oh, Duncan yeah, Sheik, right? You would agree, right? So Duncan Sheik was another yeah. fun one. There were tons of really fun ones that almost made the cut. But I think for number 10, I'm going to go with Patrick Fitzgerald from kitchens of distinction and the reason i say that is because i just thought he was a real sweetheart of a guy and we had done an interview back in december and as i mentioned it got messed up the file got ruined somehow and bless his heart he agreed to talk to me again a couple months later and we did and it came out and he was just such a sweetheart such a good man and to go from being a rock star you know marginal never quite getting over the hump like he would have liked to now being a doctor is a really fascinating story. And to be an out and proud gay man at that time, I think is really, takes a lot of courage. And he was just such a sweet guy. And he, I should say, um, talk about promo modes. So many former guests of ours, like Redbox put out a new album this year that they've been talking about for four years. Uh, Steven Hero, that's Patrick's um, solo recording name, put out the album he was talking about. So many of our former guests put out new stuff. And I want to reach out to them, and I don't because... I think that's just going to, we have so much to do. So I let them come to me. But I've, I would love to talk to Patrick again because I just thought he was a real sweetheart of a guy. So I think I'm going to go with Patrick for number 10. So for my number 10, I went with Martha. <clears throat> Maybe it's just me. I don't understand why so many people don't like R&B. I love it. But if yeah. you don't like it, that's that's your thing. You know, that's up to you. And, and that's, you know, everybody having differences opinion if everybody was the same it would be a boring world <laughs> but so uh yeah so true. You know, i i love iron b and that album that one that she did that had the dream, dream on Hot. cover that is killer it is it is oh it's so good so good and what and an that, interesting that was, oh go ahead you go ahead that cover was particularly killer mm -hmm. And what an interesting story that your voice is good enough to be the voice of millions of selling dance hits, all-time biggest hits, but you're too big and unattractive to be seen in the videos or to be you know, labeled or credited accurately. We're just going to keep you back in the shadows, but we need your voice. Imagine being yeah, like labeled that way, you know? And the, Yeah, that was a model in the video for the CNC Music Factory. Yeah. Yeah, 
I and anyway, I just what a story that is. Good one. Okay. Well, number two, oh, I should say my criteria for picking these is typically my thinking always has been I like the ones that I think um, go across to the most general audience. So my thinking is you don't have to know who these people are to find their story interesting. If you do, it helps. Now, that's normally how I go about picking these. I didn't necessarily do that this time. For instance, one of my, it didn't quite make my list, but Robin Campbell of UB40 was one of my favorite experiences ever, mostly because he could tell how much I loved him, and that always makes me love them even more. But, you know, does everyone care about that interview? Probably not. But I, uh, it meant a lot to me personally. So I don't always go down, I don't always pick ones based on that. But for number nine, I figured let's do Johnny Edwards because that story is just so enticing and so perfect, such perfect fodder for our podcast. And uh, so, yeah, I think at number nine, I'm going to go with Johnny Edwards. So my number nine, I went with David Hawes of Catherine Wheel. Yeah. I absolutely loved that episode. And that the music for that is totally my my thing. It is. <laughs> I didn't yeah, think about totally that, but you thing. love Screaming Trees so much. And these guys were sort of British contemporaries of Screaming Trees at that time. Yeah. 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 Yeah, right on. He was great, and I was so glad we were finally able to get somebody from that band on the show. That's why I just a little nod to you again, Yan. I know that of the two of us, I'm probably the bigger music nerd. But the thing I like about you is that you appreciate you can appreciate almost all music. You're just like you see the good in just about every genre or every band or whatever. You're down for whatever. That's one of the reasons why I'm glad we do this together because I think that's what one of the things that make this work is that you can appreciate almost all kinds of music, no matter what it is. So I, I wanted to thank you for that. I, I, I mean, I love music and I'll listen to, you know, I, I certainly have a, you know, some genres that I'll listen to more than sure. others, but I'm happy listening to just about anything. Good. Good, yeah, me too. Okay, for number eight, and I'm cheating here a little bit. This is gonna, I'm going to do this a couple of times. Uh, I'm going to go with Eden, Bur- Eden Burden of Human League, and I'm going to combine his episode with the deep dive that we did of Dare. That um, first, he's just, I don't, he wasn't like, you know, the most magnetic character in the world, but he is an example of somebody that I am so proud that we got come on our show twice to talk i mean not just to hear his story but that he came back on and deep dived one of the most important albums in history with us kind of like Stu cook and deep diving you know willie and the poor boys to think that people like that give us their time blows my mind we are two regular guys yan and these guys think enough of us that they will talk to us more than once so for what it symbolizes, um, I am really glad that Ian Burton came on our show. So I'm going to put him at number eight, and that's tied with the deep dive. Okay. So for my number eight, I went with Emilio from Tire of Power. Mm-hmm. That was killer. Yeah. That one went bigger than I think uh, both of us thought it would do. Yeah, yeah. And their music is just... Again, if you you couldn't go wrong with some of their stuff, spending a few bucks on some of their music. Agreed. Yeah, I um, I didn't have high expectations for that one, so I, that's why it came out on New Year's Day. I thought 
maybe people would be busy thinking about other stuff. But it took off. They shared it, and their fans grabbed a hold of it. And it, I think it's one of our biggest episodes of the year. And they came through town in concert, and their publicist got me tickets. But I had something else to do that night, and I had to drive like clear across town. By the time I got to the venue, they were on their encore. And so I only got to see like the last three or four songs. But what I saw was so incredible. I, I would travel somewhere to see these guys again. So if you care at all about big horns in your R&B, go see Tower of Power because they were fantastic. Okay, number seven for me, I'm going to go with Chris Butler of The Waitresses. I thought uh, that was a Paul Underwood production. Again, thank you, Paul. We love you. Um, he uh, That one took a lot of work. There were so many, Paul was, he wanted so bad to kind of post a recording of what that interview sounded like in its raw form with all the ums and uhs and stutters and everything like that. And, uh, but we thought better of it, but he made that thing perfect. He cleaned it up perfectly. And what a story. The guy lives in Jeffrey Dahmer's old house. He makes a living off of this obscure Christmas song. He wrote 40, 35 years ago in the back of a taxi in 15 minutes. He went to Kent state during the shootings there. He's just out of frame in the most, the, the person who is on the ground killed in the mo- one of the most famous photographs ever is a friend of his, and he is just out of the frame of that famous photo. So many fascinating stories from this one guy. I, uh, I loved it. And by the way, I posted on Facebook, I think most of you know, he shared with me a song. I hope this doesn't offend anybody, but if it does, just don't ask for it. He wrote an anti-Trump protest song. He shared it with me. He said I could share it with who, with all of you. I posted it on Facebook. Probably 50 people have requested it. So if you want it, send me a message, and I will attach the file to the email and send it back to you. It's a great song. It's called Charlie Tan. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So And uh, just on that, you know, if people have, you know, like I said earlier on, if people were the same, it would be a boring world. <laughs> you know, so some, you know, some people are gonna pick up on that on the protest. Some, some people are gonna be not, and that's okay. We're here for the music. That's right. Yep. But okay, so my number seven is Kip Winger. I love that the the switch from the the hard rock to the class stuff fantastic that's great that was another one that i was dead wrong about i thought for sure um i screwed it up i was really interested in his classical work which i know is not the most commercial but i think what a dichotomy to have a guy like kip be grammy nominated for classical music and i wanted to give him a stage to talk about it and i think he appreciated that but i wasn't sure what the listeners would think so I thought for sure this was another one that I screwed up. And thankfully, people seem to really like that one. So we made it work. Anyway, good one. I like Kip, too. Uh, let's see. Okay, for number six, for me, I'm going to go with Marco Peroni. And again, I'm combining our interview with the deep dive. Uh, that was another one of those, like, I, gets. I cannot believe Marco Peroni is talking to me. And he's doing it twice. And... Uh, one of the most legendary guitarists of the 80s. His sound is so unique and so specific. And that guy shared a couple of hours of his life with us. Blows my mind. 
So I've got to give it up for Marco Peroni. That was a huge one. For for, for my number six, I went with the Ron Nevison episode, but I specifically went with the deep dive. Mm. And uh, I really loved the way he talked about the, the band and you know how how he got into how they felt about their their the way they were being promoted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to touch on this uh, in my list here in just a little bit, but that was another one that I was I'm just in shock that the Ron Nevison gave us some of his time twice and was as blunt and honest about that heart record as he was. It's a great record. It's got a real story behind it. And I probably could have picked any one of his other albums and been just as good, but I thought that one in particular is a story that deserves to be told. So I went for it. So yeah, I agree. That was a great one. Um, okay. Let's see. We are on what? Number five. Okay. For number five, I'm going with another Paul Underwood, Liberty DeVito. Um, I was really proud of that one. And, uh, I know Paul was too. I just thought, Kind of like the Keith Scott episode from the year before with Brian Adams. We're getting, we may not be getting Brian or Billy Joel, but let's be honest, those guys are protective of their legacy and their images to the point where I don't know that we would get some really good, uh, you know, inside information, but Keith and Liberty are able to be more unfiltered. And I just could not believe uh, how great that went. We got to go album by album, which again, some people deserve that, some don't. I thought he did. We got to talk about it all. He shares his dirty alternative lyrics to some of the songs, which is great. And uh, yeah, that was, was funny. It was, and I was just so glad that the Liberty DeVito talked to me, and Paul made it sound fantastic. So yeah, that's my number five. Okay, so for my number five, I went with Phil Thornalley. Yeah, I absolutely loved that one. Can you can you believe it? The guy that basically writes. Torn talks to us. I know. I know. I know. Um, I'm going to save my thoughts because he's coming up on my list here in a little bit too. Um, but I'm going to be heaping a lot of praise on you for that one. So, okay, let me see here. Number four for me, I'm going with uh, Brad Sunberg. And I'm cheating again. I'm going to include the deep dive that technically didn't come out until the beginning of January. It was We were hoping to get it out. The week before, which would have made it within 2019. That uh, Michael Jackson episode, look, I know that it wasn't a lot of people's cup of tea when when it came out. Uh, you could have there were crickets in on our social media about this. And when I said something about it, I heard from quite a few people in return who were like, mm, I just didn't feel like that conversation was you know appropriate on a music podcast, or I'm not, I don't want to get into it, or I think he's guilty or I didn't like hearing about it, or whatever, and all of those things are totally viable and uh, make sense. I get it. But look, I, I will tell you, as somebody who got his degree in journalism and couldn't make it as a journalist, I really get off on when I get to be Oprah, when I get to be the Oprah in one of these interviews. And that was one of those times where I got to, be, I got to put my Oprah hat on and be a true journalist and ask hard questions. And he did not back down and we had a good thing going. And then again, he came back on to talk about Quincy Jones's album and all those crazy stories about Miles Davis. How great was that story about that? Uh, he doesn't know who Miles Davis is because he's a white guy. He assumes Miles Davis plays the piano 
So the night before Miles Davis comes in, he gets the piano out and it's all mic'd perfectly. And some other assistant in the studio is like, do you know how stupid you are? He's one of the best. He's the best trumpet players ever. What's this thing with the piano? So Brad goes back into the studio and wipes it all down and moves it. So that it's anyway, so many yeah. fantastic stories in that one. I was sat there as I was listening to it, cutting, you know, dicing it. Like he's sitting there sitting getting the piano. Like Miles Davis has a trumpet. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. So I again, I don't. I know that some people have issues, and I'm not even. I don't care enough about Michael Jackson to know if he's truly guilty or truly innocent. I'm not entirely sure myself, but it was so cool to me to have such a warts and all, such an open and honest conversation with somebody who knew him. And uh, so that's my number four, Brad Sundberg. My number four is Ian Burton, one of the seminal bands of the 80s. Yeah. And the guy talks to us and yeah. then comes back on and does the deep dive on, on Dan. That was just absolutely fantastic to, to get that. I, th I think that was actually better than having Phil on. I've wondered about that. Yeah, I would love to talk to Phil, and I hope I get the chance someday. I, I've not been able to track him down. But to get Ian's perspective on all of that, was that was just gold. I, 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 going back to what you said, I can't believe they talked to us. Yeah, I agree. That was a good one. Um, okay, number three for me, I'm going to go with the combined Ron Nevison's, his interview and his deep dive. Um, that was one that uh, needed to go well. I know... He's worked on so much cool stuff and is so regarded, especially among uh, other, some of our listeners, some of our peers, the decimal geek type people and the grown up rocks and the Cobras and fire and all these other people who host podcasts for hard rock and heavy metal. I don't go there very often because those guys all do that stuff so well, but here was my chance to really talk to a luminary of that genre. And I didn't want to screw it up because I love him. I love a lot of his stuff and I know that other people are going to be, they're going to feel invested in this interview going well. And thankfully, it was great. And Paul, again, rose to the occasion and made it sound fantastic. And we got to have Ron come back and uh, do the deep dive with us. So that, I mean, that is like a piece of history to me, the Ron Nevison interview. I just feel like that's one of those things that like could be, could be respected or appreciated for generations because he covers so much great music, so much great information in that interview. I was really proud of how that one turned out. Good, good. I, I really like that one. My number three is Marco Peroni, one of the best bands of the 80s. Just, uh, I think they really pushed the boundaries in terms of the way they dressed you know, for the for that the bands back at that time. I think that was great. And for him to come on, I thought it was really funny where he, when he talked about hating being out in the country. <laughs> Did you notice on the deep dive that you could just the birds were chirping the whole time? Yeah. <laughs> I got to cut that out. I got to cut that out. <laughs> it's been out there. I got to cut that out. <laughs> I thought it great. I thought it added really nice ambiance to everything to have the birds chirping in the background the whole time. Uh, okay, let me see. So number two uh, for me is Phil Thornalley and. There are two main reasons why I say this. Number one, all hail to you, Yan, because that was another one that had a lot of ums and uhs. And you cleaned that thing up so beautifully. 
that uh, that was to me one of your masterpieces. That would not have been as good and enjoyable as it was if not for your hard work cleaning it up. You nailed it on that one. Number two, the reason why I put that one slightly ahead of Ron is just because I like the surprise factor of it. I like that people listened, probably not really knowing who he was or what all he had done. And I heard from a lot of people and I'm imagining that you're listening and he's talking about The Cure and then he's talking about Natalie Imbruglia and then he's talking about Johnny Hates Jazz and then he's talking about Wax UK and he's talking all these bands and it's one after the other and you're like, that guy did that too? And uh, I really got off on the idea of listeners being surprised, pleasantly surprised over and over again every time a new act came up. Like, wow, I can't believe this guy worked on that thing as well. So that's why I think I, ha I put that one slightly above the Ron. Ron may have been generally more um, entertaining, but I felt like Phil had this surprise factor that just sort of nudged it one step higher. He was fantastic. I was debating where to put him in my top five. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I could have picked so, so many, but... Yeah, I agree. Great guy, one. and and his uh, his love for uh, Todd Rundgren. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who I've been trying to get on the show, by the way. I just finished reading his book. Um, his people got back to me and said he was busy at the moment, but to try him later. And I've tried many times later, and I haven't heard back. So I don't know if that's ever going to happen. But so my number two is Rupert Hine on the fix. I could listen to that guy talk for days and mm -hmm. mm -hmm. he's just got so much on, on on so many bands that he's worked on and he's he's just great to have on yeah i agree i um i really thought he was i love him and i love that we have a relationship with him and that was another one that was that you totally saved because you may remember this he i may have told this before i don't remember he hadn't listened to the album prior to getting on and talking with me. So every time I would ask him about a song, he would play it he'd on his laptop. Yeah, he'd listen to it for a <laughs> while. And, oh, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. And then he would come back and have, you know, thoughts on it. And several times within the, he, uh, like the power almost went out in his laptop. So he starts searching around for a power cord. Or the, his phone battery is dying, so he needs to charge it. Or he's got to get something in the other room. Or his wife is asking about something. There was so much that needed to be kind of trimmed out of that one to make it sound as good as it was. And uh, so you totally nailed that one, too. Okay. We both have the same number one. I have my reasons. You have yours. Why don't you tell us what the number one episode of the year for you was? The number one episode of the year for me was Delette McDonald. Mm-hmm. Why? The back and forth between the two of you is just probably one of the best I've listened to. Yeah. Yeah, I um, that one totally took me by surprise. We had fantastic chemistry. You can hear it happening and warming up in real time in the interview. And her story, the her being coming out and being comfortable, learning to be comfortable with her sexuality and the honest opinions about people like Sting and David Byrne and uh, Tears for Fears and all these people. It, uh, I, no interview this year left me on as big a high as Dolette did afterwards. 
I was just floating for days after that because she was so wonderful. Her story was so fantastic. And uh, we had such a good thing going. And so I was, I don't know if that's the most generally beloved, if every audience, no matter what kind of music you're into, would appreciate that one as much as I did. But I think that the the high of talking to Dolette is what I search for and pushing for in every interview I get. And I don't always get there, but with her, I got there. So that's why it's my number one, too. Good. Good pick. I'm with you on those. Yeah, that, oh. that, one was, that one was extra good. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And she's become friendly. She votes sometimes on our polls. I don't know if you knew that. In fact, a few of our – Brad Sundberg vote, votes on our, on our polls. Yep, it's crazy. Seen that. Yeah, and uh, she's just a super nice lady. She'll comment on stuff on Facebook. She posts these, like, daily affirmation things that – I look at because I need them these days and she's just a super nice lady. She's the type, if I were in Savannah, Georgia, I could call her and we would go to dinner and I could probably hang out at her house. And she's such a great lady. I really liked her a lot. Uh, okay. The listeners top five are not too dissimilar from our lists. So I'll kind of burn through these first and foremost, 46 different episodes from this year got at least one vote as a, the best interview of a best episode of the year that kind of blew me away 46. So, and I mean, how many do you think we put out probably 60 or 70? So over yeah, half. So there's, so there'll be 52 regular episodes plus all the bonus material. Yeah. Yeah. And we probably had bonus material. I don't know, maybe half the time. So uh-huh. yeah, 75, something like that, 80 and over half of all those got at least one vote. Tied for fifth was uh, a four-way tie between Marco, Dolette, Phil, and Prescott Niles, which blew me away. Again, going back, you guys like that one. I was wrong. You were right. So that one was tied for fifth. Fourth would be Liberty DeVito. Third, which really surprised me, was Greg Kinn. I uh, I really liked Greg Kinn, but I it didn't... Uh, you know, I wasn't on a high like I was with Dolette, but uh, you guys love the Greg Kinn episode, and I'm really glad you did. And then tied for first, so I'm skipping two, but that's because there's two number ones, are the are Johnny Edwards and Ron Nevison. Those were the two, uh, by our listeners, considered the best episodes of the year. So I can't say I can argue with any of those, except Prescott. I'm really just shocked everyone liked that Prescott one so much, but I'm glad you did. I'm glad everyone liked it. Okay. All right. Let's get into listener questions. There's a bunch. I'll try and burn through these. I hope people enjoy these. We enjoy doing them. Uh, let's see here. AJ. Now, AJ, I hope I don't butcher your last name. Figliolini. I hope I, we communicate on here all the time, and I'm realizing I've never said your, your last name out loud. AJ Figliolini. That's what I think it is. Best concerts we saw this year. What was the best concert you saw this year yet? So it was a quiet year for me for for gigs, but uh, definite highlight was was some of the previous guests that we've had on. So I got to meet G Tom Mack in Glasgow, and yep. I got to see Hipsway. Both and, awesome. Uh, oh, superb! And uh, Graham is every every bit uh, fabulous stage persona. Mm. I believe Just it. Excellent. Yeah. If 
if anybody ever, you know, if, if Hipsway is ever playing near where you are, go see them. Well, I hope. They're one of those acts that I don't know if they can sustain a career outside of Scotland, to be honest. Well, they, you know, they really I wish. Well. Yeah, good. See, I'm so, I mean, you know, we got to hang out with Graham in that pub for a while. He was so cool. We felt cool hanging out with him in a pub and everything. That was one of the best days of my life, by the way. And he, they put on a lot of shows there, but uh, I don't know that they could get much of an audience outside of the UK. Maybe if they were the first bill on like an 80s nostalgia show or something like that. But I'm really happy that he gets that. You mentioned G. Tom Mack. He was going to be here the week after. In fact, he messaged me the next day on Facebook. He and I become a little friendly. He said, I saw your, your friend at my show in Glasgow the other night. He was so nice. And uh, so I feel a little responsible. He posts on Facebook, where should I go and where should I uh, go on tour? Where should I come in concert? And I said Denver. And I guess my post, I didn't go back and look, but I guess my post had a bunch of likes because he eventually was said something like, I had no idea so many people in Denver wanted me to come. I'll try and get a show going in Denver. So he does, and he plays at this place, or he's scheduled to play in this little bar not too far from my house called Lost Lake. I've never even been inside, but I've heard it's the size of like a living room. It's tiny. And um, he's communicating with me beforehand. I can't wait to see you. It'll be so great to, great to meet. Please bring a lot of your friends. I have no idea if this is being promoted. And, I'm, and I feel a little responsible that he's even coming because I posted Denver on his Facebook post. So I'm, I'm emailing all of my friends, you know, guys. So remember that song from Lost Boys? Well, this is the guy who wrote that song and sang it. And I know that that sounds weird, but I really think you're going to have fun if you come. Let's all just go. It won't be too expensive. I know the guy. He'll get pictures with us. It'll be great. And the day before the show, he canceled because he lost his voice or something like that. So I didn't oh. even get the, I know. So he messaged me. He's like, John, I'm so sorry. I can't even come now. So I'm hoping this gets rescheduled and happens later. But uh, yeah, anyway, I could have seen him too. I did get to see Tim Capella this year. The sac sexy sax man also from the Lost Boy soundtrack. That was a blast. He came here. Um, 40 or 50 people came to that show, surprisingly. It was also at a bar. He went to the table to sign things afterwards. That's where he makes his gig. He signs all these pictures and CDs and uh, posters and T-shirts and all this stuff. And I come through, and I'm like, Tim, it's John Lamoureux. John! And he's so nice. He gives me his new CD, and we get pictures. He was so great. So I had, I did get some Lost Boys love this year. It just wasn't from G. Tom Mac. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Well, if, he cut, if G. Tom Mac reschedules, go. I'll be there. It's so good. It was such a good show. And uh, also another one I got to go and see was a band called Annie Christian. So they... they uh, they were on the label at the same time as Stereophonics. Mm. And they actually toured supporting Stereophonics back in the uh, mid to late 90s. Okay. And they they hadn't really played some of the songs in about 20 years after getting dropped by the V2 label. But uh, if you can find it, if you can find their album, it is great. And I sent you links to some of the songs. You did. And I liked what I've heard. Um, I've thought about getting, bringing them on the show. I don't know. It might be like Life by Night. Maybe maybe they might fit in the one and done 
series if I can ever make that happen. It might be an interesting story there. I wonder I wonder what they would have to say. Um, okay, good. I think my best concerts of the year, um, I was going back. I saw Joe Jackson this year. I love that. Dave and Ken, some of our listeners were in town for that, and I got to go with them. That was great. Um, I also went with one of our other listeners, Diamond Dave, here locally to see Squeeze and X. That was a fantastic show. I've never cared that much for X. I always just thought they were sort of amped up rockabilly and it didn't interest me. But live, they were amazing. And um, so I'm hoping I'm hoping to get Billy Zoom, their guitarist on here. I haven't heard back, but that guy is fascinating to me. I also saw the Water Boys, which I loved the Water Boys. Standing like five feet from Mike Scott as he sings the whole of the moon on the piano. I just, you'll cry. You'll lose it because it's just, it's so beautiful. And then lastly, I think the best show I saw this year was Phil Collins. And I'm shocked to say that it was the same night as the trash can Sinatras were here that same night. You guys know how much I love them. And I was really stumped which one to do, but I'd seen trash cans four or five times and I'd never seen Phil. So I went to Phil and uh, I'm going to be repeating all of this because Eric Miller and Pat Francis and I are doing a Phil six-pack at some point. So you're going to hear all these stories again. But basically, because his health is so frail, it was like going to a funeral for someone who is still alive. He, uh, We were able, able to celebrate him with him being there, you know, present, as opposed to after the fact. And it was a really emotional Wonderful experience being able to do that. He played all the hits. His band is fantastic. There's guys like Lee Sklar in this band. Um, he was self-effacing and wonderful. He sounded great. You forget how many songs that are of his that are fantastic. Uh, at the very, he closes with "Take Me Home," and the whole place is standing up. And I'm in the furthest nosebleeds, but I'm crying. The whole place is just going, is crying and emotional because "Take Me Home" is so beautiful. That was a really profound experience for me. So I think that's my favorite show of the year. Uh, okay, BJ Cramp wants to know, what questions did I think of later that I wish I would have asked? I would say there's nothing too major. There are times when I, um, because of time, I would like to dwell on certain topics or things that come up, but I'm a, I don't do it because I'm afraid that maybe they only interest me and I try to, I'm trying to keep the conversation moving. So I, um, there's that. There are times when I wish I could go full Oprah on someone and just be, you know, totally journalistic about some things, but I'm afraid I worry that I haven't earned that the right to do that with them. So I, I approach it more as like a fan, um, and go that route. One of the ones that, uh, I wish I had done more homework on was Jimmer Podraski of the rave ups. I think I mentioned this before. That was one of our first, I think that was episode 15 or something like that. He's had a really hard life. And I did, I normally do a lot of research for these. And we had a really pleasant conversation that was more accentuating the positive. Like, yeah, it's been rough, but we're doing good now. And after I talked to him, I found this article of an interview he did where you realize how bad it's been. He's been homeless. He's been on drugs. His son has been on drugs. They live in a car. They have no money. His ex-wife, his son's mom, uh, Beth Ringwald, Molly Ringwald's sister, who knows where she is. She's on drugs, I think. She's unfit to be a mom. He's trying to raise this kid. It sounds horrible. And I didn't read that before talking to him, and I wish I had. You probably don't have an answer to that question, uh, Yan. Let me see here. Yeah, no, not, not usually. Okay. 
Now, one thing I will say, you guys are usually, the listeners are usually, usually bring, like I'll post an episode and they'll listen and they'll say, why didn't you ask about this or that? And it's some little tidbit that I didn't know about, but I wish I had because it's almost always something really fascinating and intriguing that you guys send me. One in particular, we had Derry Grayan on from Hollywood, uh, Honeymoon Suite, and I didn't know that they had done a Pepsi commercial. And I heard from so many people, they're like, you should have asked about the Pepsi commercial. And you're right. I should have, and I didn't know about it in time, or else I would have. So anyway, that happens a lot. Okay, Steve Howard wants to know if we're ever going to talk to actors or athletes. Those are really good questions. I have thought about this a lot. I, in an ideal world, we would, I would, we would, whatever, have a podcast about music, a podcast with actors, Similar kind of story, you know, what are, where are they now? What are you doing? How, how did you make a living? And another one with athletes, you know, pro athletes. You work your whole life to go to the majors. You sign a 12-day contract and you strike out twice and that's it. And then you go the rest of your life and you have to sell insurance or something like that. What is that like? I would love to do those. I don't because there's just these, the podcast is already like a second job, I think, for the both of us. And that's just this one, let alone the other topics I'd like to discuss. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah. It'd be, it'd definitely be fun, though. And we have talked to act, act, actors. Yeah, we had Joyce on from uh, just one of the guys. And um, I think about this a lot because I, I would love to talk to more actors. And I've purposely sought out some who also – do music like for instance a few months ago earlier this year i was supposed to interview john kapalos who i think that's how you say his name who was carl the janitor in uh, uh breakfast club he's in a lot of those john hughes movies and stuff he put out like a jazz album earlier this year and i thought well maybe i could bring him on to talk about the jazz album we'll talk about that for five or ten minutes and then we'll talk about his movie career for the rest of the hour and uh, he and I were going back and forth, and he canceled a couple of times at the last minute, and then I haven't heard from him in a long time. But something like that may happen. Um, I'd like to do more like that. I don't know. I just feel like that's a separate podcast. When I would rather almost give it a new title, a new feed, a new everything, and just have that one be actors and another one just be athletes. But that's just me. Yeah, and uh, like last year we had EG on. True, true. That was a good one. Yeah. And that one was focused mostly on her singing career, but she liked us a lot too. She may come back and talk about her acting career. Um, I have thought, and this would only be of interest probably to me and maybe a little bit to you, Yan. I, as you know, and I think you are too, to some degree, I'm a giant Utah jazz basketball NBA fan. And I have thought about having like a Utah jazz podcast where I try and track down former players what are they doing? What are they up to now? How do they feel about the time? But I think I can't imagine all of you would find that was in, that interesting. But I sure would. Also, the Oakland days. I grew up in the Bay Area. And the Oakland days back in the early, early 80s were my team. I'd love to talk to a bunch of those guys. Okay, Steve Poshman, uh, our bu buddy from Suburban Underground. What will I do when everyone on your list has been interviewed or firmly declined? That is a golden question. So... Going back yeah, to this, that's the golden question, because as I touched on earlier, when I was going through that slump, which would be about uh, September, October, I really had sort of decided I wasn't going to do this anymore. 
I, um, I had enough interviews in the can. I'd like, I always have like seven to 12 interviews in the can. And I thought, well, I'll, we'll run out with what, what I have done. I'm not going to reach out to new people. If people reach out to me and, you know, that I've tried to contact in the past and they're finally getting back to me, I'll talk to them, but I think I'm done. I don't think I want to do this anymore. And I didn't tell you this, Jan, because I didn't want to alarm you. And I want to make sure that I felt that way before I said that. But I really had decided I'm just not curious anymore. I've asked every question I can think of to over 300 people. And uh, everyone that I've wanted to have on the show has come on. And the people I want to have on the show that won't come on, I'm no closer to getting them on. And um, we aren't... You know, we have a devoted fan base, but it's not gigantic or anything. That was another thing. I'd always hoped that this thing would sort of grow or expand so that coming on The Hustle was a big deal. Like if you were to go on Eddie Trunk or whatever and promote your new album or something like that, I wanted people to feel like coming here would be the same thing. Maybe some of them do. That's why people like Richard and Robert and and uh, Mr. Zero and everybody contact us to promote their new thing, which I'm really grateful for. But I just hoped that it, by this point, five years in, we'd have, you know, a big, strong listener base and uh, could attract more people, but it hasn't happened. And so I decided I was done. And um, then Steve, in particular, the same guy who asked this question, put me in contact with somebody who I've always wanted to have on the show. And it went well. And that finally kind of lit the fuse. And then I kind of went on a roll. And I'm not... I'm not exaggerating when I say this. Starting the first Tuesday in January, which probably would have already come out by the time this comes out, I have eight or nine episodes that I am 100% proud of that are among the best we've ever done. And I've got a bunch of other people on the hook, people that I know you guys like and care about, big names, some of them. Uh, I feel like Trump saying that. I've, I, I'm sorry. That was my Trump moment. I have a lot of episodes, a lot of interviews coming down the pike that I think you people are going to enjoy that are getting me really, really excited again. And a lot of them are behind the scenes people, producers, songwriters, um, session musicians, whatever it might be. And those are uh, those are so much fun. So I think there's more coming. When I do finally run out, I don't know. I'll probably just walk away. Feel strong? Do you feel like there's a... An end date here, Yan? Do you feel like, you know, I, th- I think I could do this for six more months and then I'm done? Or are you good for whatever? I'm good for whatever. Okay. Yeah, I um, during that couple of months where I just didn't do any interviews, luckily we had so many in the can that we could just keep putting them out every Tuesday. And eventually I got my mojo back and was able to kind of build back up the pipeline. But yeah, I almost quit there for a while. Um I- I mean, if I could find a way to monetize this, I would yeah. do this instead of IT. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. This has been a hot topic in my in my house lately. My wife's like, why do you not, if you could find, if you had a job where you could devote your time and attention to it half as much as you devote your time and attention to your podcast, imagine how that would be. That, uh, yes, I wish. Okay, another one of our listeners, Scott Webb. I think Scott's in Scotland with you, by the way. Uh, Why am I so hard on myself? Yeah, well, I've sort of illustrated uh, why on this. I I probably have a little bit of kind of a Napoleon complex. You know, I want to be I want to be taken seriously. I want every guest who comes on to feel like they're doing something important and professional. 
want them to feel cared for. Um, and I'm really lucky. I, I think you would agree, Yan, that most of the people who have been on you can hear it over the course of our conversation. They start out like, I don't know who this guy is. I don't know what I've agreed to. And so many of them warm up and feel comfortable. And by the end, say how much they enjoyed the experience. Have you noticed that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of them have said they really enjoyed the experience. Yeah. And then it'll come out and they'll say, I love the way you wove in the songs and you trimmed it all up. And and so um, it's just this sense of, I don't want to be, I never want to come across like I'm in the minor leagues or in Bush League. I want to come across like a professional and I want people to believe they're dealing with professionals and that we're going to make them sound great and they're going to enjoy the experience. And we have a passionate listener base that's going to support them and be, take an interest in their new thing, whatever it might be, and hear them out. I hold myself to, I know when I feel like I'm at my best and uh, when I, and I know when I feel like I'm not or when an interview is not at their best. And I'm really critical of that. In fact, I was listening. I want to tell the story. I was listening to this. Uh, There's a podcast called Broken Record. That's uh, Malcolm Gladwell, the writer, and Rick Rubin, the producer. And Rick Rubin was interviewing Brittany Howard from the band Alabama Shakes the other day. And she was talking about her process writing music. And she said in there, <clears throat> she says, um, you know, sometimes I'm not feeling it. And if I'm not feeling it, I don't think a listener is going to feel it. And I thought that's exactly how I feel. Now, we're not putting an album out, but we are putting out content every week. And if I'm not feeling it, I just assume my listeners aren't feeling it either, whether it's Prescott Niles or Chris Stamey or Juliana Hatfield or whatever. And come to find out, thankfully, though, that I'm wrong, you know, most of the time, that our listeners trust us enough and think highly enough of what we're doing that they're not going to blame us if an interview goes sideways. That's, that's what I've learned. There's another, I'll just get right to it. So one of the other questions that came up from Gordon Hamill is what did I learn this year, especially after the warts and all episode. And that's what I've learned is that I've learned to trust you guys more and to uh, assume that you're going to receive whatever we put out with open arms and with an open mind, because hopefully we've earned your trust by now. And uh, that's got to be good enough. And if I'm not feeling it or I'm not, or I'm worried about it, or I don't think it's my best or whatever, don't sweat it. It'll, somebody out there will appreciate it, hopefully. You know what I mean? That's what I've learned. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I get you. Good. Okay. Uh, Dave Peterson. I mentioned Dave earlier from the Joe Jackson concert. I love Dave. <clears throat> Who is still on my wish list? And uh, <laughs> will I ever do a double dip of The Call? The Call are his favorite band ever. We had Jimmy Goodwin on here from The Call. That's his name, right? Jim, Jimmy, is that who it was? The keyboard player? Anyway, I don't double dip into the same band very often um, just because I figure there's so many other stories to tell. I don't know that the call, I like the call a lot. I don't know that I would double dip them. Although the son, Michael Bean of the call's son, Robert, who's in Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, I would talk to him because I love that band. And so maybe I'll see if I can make that happen. They're a newer band, but um, I, I would still do that. Anyway, who's still on my wish list? It's There's a lot of the same people. I would still give anything to talk to Nina Cherry, Anita Baker, Green Gartside from Scritti Politti, 
Uh, Kurt Smith from Tears for Fears is another one who's kind of risen to the top. Um, I would love to, one of my dream interviews is Steve Winwood, which I know would never happen because he almost never does interviews. Um, those are some of the ones who are tops on my wish list. Uh, Howard Jones is, is up there. Hopefully that happens one day. I don't know. Uh, do you have any wish lists? Do you have a wish list? Are there people you would like to have on here, Yan? Oh, yeah. Some, anybody from the Commodores that isn't Lionel Richie. Mm. I tried, I think I told you this. I reached out to their people and they were like, let me talk to them. And then I didn't hear back for months and I checked back in said, you know, I never heard anything. Is that, does that mean that's a no? And he wrote back and said, yeah, probably I'll ask again. Again, I never heard back. So I've been trying to make that would happen, but it's not, it hasn't. Even if we don't get them on, I think that's music that people need to listen to. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. Diane Marie. Um, we love Diane. She asked, how long it, does it take to produce and execute an episode? That's mostly for you, Yan. Why don't you talk about that? Okay, so it, it kind of depends. It depends on the the guest, how chatty they are, how much ums and ahs and you knows and whatever else I'll end up taking out uh, is in there. But when the laptop's cooperating well, <laughs> it's you know it's 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 getting old. It's 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 seven years old. Uh-huh. And uh, so I get through about 20 minutes of 15 to 20 minutes of clean audio per hour of work. Boy. And a deep dive takes a bit longer. Mm-hmm. I, I usually go about uh, 10 minutes of audio per hour of work on a deep dive. Wow. Again, here it's, man, I wish I knew how to make that easier for you i try to make these as streamlined as possible and so all you got to do is plug in the songs but i know that you go to a more granular granular level than that out of your drive to make these as good as you can i will say um going back to scott's question why am i so hard on myself i think that it's you and i's drive to make this as good as it can be that is why it works at all you know what i mean I do my very best to make it the best interview it can be. And you do your very best to make it as perfectly produced as possible. And that's why this has any value at all. Wouldn't you say? Oh yeah. Yeah. I totally. I mean, a lot of the time you'll send me something that says this doesn't need any, any tightening and I'll still go through and do it anyway, because I want to make it as good as possible. Yeah. 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 Um, so on my end, I mean, it could take, you know, hours and hours. I uh, try to listen to as much of their music as I can. I'm kind of softening on that a little bit. Some people just have too much music to absorb every note of it, but I try. And um, the research part is the easy part. Most of the people I've had on the show, I already like. So I've got, you know, a few questions in the can ready to go. Uh, it's just a matter of, you know, reading Wikipedia, looking up other interviews, um, reading reviews, listening to lyrics, trying to find other little nuggets that could lead to interesting topics. So I don't know. Any given episode, if you cut out the, all the music listening, it's a couple hours of, of uh, preparation. If you factor in the music, it goes in a lot longer. So anyway, 
Um, did you have something else you wanted to say? Uh, no, I think we covered it. So okay. really, for each episode, it sounds like it uh, could be as much as five to ten hours worth of, of work per episode. Yeah. Jeez. Between the two of us. Okay, so last name. I'm not Polish. It is a Polish last name. It's Motkiewicz is how you say it. Although I'm sure the Poles would say the there's an L with a squiggle through it of some a line through it, and they would pronounce it. But here it's Motkiewicz. Uh, I don't speak any Polish at all. I should. I've still got cousins that live there from my grandfather's side and I occasionally visit and I love the food and I make a mean bigos. Mm, what is bigos? So bigos is a Polish hunter stew and it's smoked sausage, smoked pork, uh, fresh cabbage, sauerkraut, juniper berries. Uh, let's see what else is in there. Wow. Mushrooms. Although it depends if if my sister's eating it, I have to take the mushrooms out. Mm. But it takes uh, about three days of cooking to to be right. Wow, that sounds good. Oh, it's so good. Back in the day, there was a lot of Polish people in Dunfermline that my my grandfather was friends with, and I made uh, I made a bigos and one of their relatives. So this lady that my my dad works does some work for her nephew, who we've known for years. He tried it and he he was just falling over with how good it oh, was. Oh, nice, good. Sounds amazing. My gosh. Oh, yeah. Okay. Next good. Time over, I'll make it. Good. You should post the recipe or something on our Facebook page in case people want to make their own bigos. That sounds wild. Um, okay, let's see. How did we start the podcast? So I touched on this earlier. March of 2015, I can't sleep. I send those emails out. Four people say yes. I suddenly start to panic. Okay, well, now I've got people on the hook. How do I start a podcast? And I just figured it out. My thinking was at the time, the job that I had, um, I was in software sales, still am. And uh, I have a uh, conference line that my customers can call into so I can have conference calls with them. And there's international numbers and it's toll free and everything. And I can record those conversations if I need to. And I thought, well, what if I had people call into my work conference line and I recorded it? And then um, we would just insert snippets of audio wherever it made sense for context. And that was that. And originally my plan was to do this. Well, originally, originally I was going to do it with my brother, Steve. We were going to do it together. And because uh, he likes, I knew that he would be great and he likes a lot of the same music I do. I thought we could do, I would do most of the interviews. He could do kind of be my co-pilot on a lot of those. And then he would do the uh, technology, the production, because technology gives me anxiety, as you know. But then he backed out. And so then I had to think about who I would do this with or do it by myself. I tried watching videos on YouTube of how to use GarageBand and all this kind of stuff. And I was stumped because I'm not very smart. And I posted on Facebook, what do I, can anyone help me with some audio engineering? Just show me how to do it. One of my high school friends, Aaron Syrett, posted, said, that's what I do for a living. I'm not working right now. Why don't we do this together? You do the interviews. I'll do the production. We'll do it together. Awesome. That sounds great. 
So we did the first, I don't know, 18 or 19 episodes or so, just the two of us. And eventually he got a job and that job was going to require long hours. And he said, I don't think I can do it anymore. And we were already sort of on a roll and I didn't want to interrupt that by stopping and learning how to do the, going back to learn how to do the technology myself. And so I thought, well, who do I know that is really technical, but also loves music and would think that this sort of project could be really fun. And I immediately thought of you. And I asked what you thought if you'd be open to that and you were, and you figured out how to do this out of the blue in like five minutes, which is amazing because I never would have been able to do that. And now here we are, you know, 230 or whatever we are, whatever number we just had so many episodes later. And that's how this worked. It's been great. I love it. Yeah. 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 And, um, it, uh, it's easier than episode 19. Is that it? Okay. And I think it was the blow monkeys. Uh, no. Oh, it was, uh, Bertie. Oh, Bertie Higgins. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> ah, the pirate himself, Bertie Higgins. Indeed. Yes, yes. Did he okay. make Top Yacht Rock? Uh, yes, he did. A little spoiler for people. Uh, Key Largo is, I believe, if I remember correctly, in my top ten. I don't know how it couldn't be. That song is great. Um, so, yes. I. Uh, so, yeah, we've just been going ever since. And thankfully... I think I've said this before, probably two thirds of the people I reach out to, I never hear back from. I never, they never reply to my email, whether it's them or their publicist or whatever on Facebook, whatever it is. Maybe 10% of the people I reach out to say no, but most people say yes. And uh, now I think I just send them, I have sort of a form letter that I send most guests, a pitch email, and I include a link and I just say, Here's the link so you can see we're legit. And uh, you probably know a lot of these people already, and a lot of them do. And so that's how it works. And it's been easier getting listener, getting guests than it has been getting listeners. That's the hard part. I don't know how to get listeners. Um, my, I'm reliant on all of you to share things and to tell your friends. And then I'm also reliant on the guests to share their episodes with their fans and hope that a certain percentage of those people not only listen, but then subscribe and stick around. And um, so it's slow. It's slow building. That's how you do this. I don't know any other way to do it. Are there rankings for podcasts? This is all still Diane, I believe. Are there rankings for podcasts? If so, are we ranked? Uh, yes. There used to be, when it was iTunes, the top 200 music podcasts. And we would show up on there once in a while. If we had one of our episodes go viral, it's been a long time actually since that happened, unfortunately. Um, now it's broken into sections and I think it's Apple Music. And if you go on the podcast page, music podcast page, there's a section that says music interviews. And we are often included in that group. And I don't know if that's, it doesn't have numbers on them. So I don't know if that's a ranking saying these are the top 20 music interview podcasts or if it's just ones who are noteworthy or have the most downloads or whatever, I don't know, but we are usually featured there in Apple music. So, um, okay. Anything more to add to any of that? Uh, no, you covered okay. exactly what I was going to say. So, okay. Uh, good old Ben Montgomery wants to know when I will realize my hatred for Wilco is just foolishness. 
And I know you're being sarcastic, Ben. I wouldn't say it's hatred. I just find Wilco to be really boring. I love them at first, thanks to my good friend Rob Rogers from college, who gave me a copy of Being There, and I fell in love with it, and I listened to it to death. And when the documentary came out, I paid to go see it in the theater. And I was so excited when Yankee Hotel Foxtrot came out. I bought it at a Borders first day. And the first song comes on, I'm Trying to Break Your Heart. And I love that song. And then every song after that bored me to death. And I kept listening to it thinking, is this, am I the, missing something here? Everyone loves this, except me. Why? And it never came around. And now they're this beloved band. And I just find them to be so beige and boring um not always sometimes they do some really good stuff there's some there's a few other songs here and there i try to listen check in every now and then to see if maybe my tastes have changed they usually don't there's a there's an occasional song that i like but in general i just find wilco kind of boring so uh okay andy bolton asked why didn't i ask johnny edwards about his shorts yeah i got that a few people made kind of sarcastic comments about the shorts and that's another one of those times where I didn't think about it until after it came out. And then all these people were like, why didn't you ask about the shorts? I didn't realize it was that big of a deal. I was honestly, um, I was not paying attention to Unusual Heat or Foreigner when that album came out. I missed it entirely. It wasn't until a few years ago that I came around to Unusual Heat. So I didn't know there were shorts to be talked about. Um, Okay. David A. Scudieris, our buddy. Best episode of 2019. I think we just did that. What new artists do I want to interview? I purposely have not sought out too many new artists because I feel like then that just opens the doors to anything and everything. I try to keep this to 70s, 80s, 90s primarily, some 60s. Um, not for any other reason other than I, I think new artists, you know, there's not as much to look back in the rearview mirror on. And so you are talking more about new albums and new things and I find stories from the past more interesting. So I don't do that too much. There is one of my favorite new bands, newish bands, is called Wussy. And uh, they're out of Cincinnati, but they sound a lot kind of like the Southern rock alternative vibe of like REM. And uh, their front man is a guy named uh, Chuck Cleaver. He's older. Back in the 90s, Chuck fronted a band called the Ass Ponies. And if you know that name, they had one mild hit on alternative radio called Little Bastard. And I've always wanted to get Chuck on the show. We're Facebook friends. I've been meaning to ask him to come on. I just haven't done it yet. I thought that'd be fun to talk about the Ass Ponies and Wussy, who I think are fantastic. Go check out their stuff. Especially uh, there's um, uh, an album called Attica, which I love. And uh, Funeral Dress is another one. Check out those. Love them. So that's one I've, I've thought about. And then have I ever reached out to Pete Best? No, I have not, only because I talk about stories that I feel like are well-told already. That seems like his that story's already out there. There's books written about that guy and about that experience. Um, I do think about it occasionally, and I think maybe, maybe I do have something unique to add to the canon of the best story, but I don't always think I do, and so I don't bother. But um, when I think I do, and I get it kind of uh, in my craw, then I go after things. So that's that. Um, let's see. Do you have any new artists that you would want on here or that you could think of? I don't know. Maybe if we keep going for another 10, 15 years, <laughs> <laughs> some That's of the true. ones that are new now might be That's worth a look. That's true. You know what I mean though, about opening it up to new artists. Then you're just, 
there's no rules. You're just talking to everybody. And I like yeah. to hear the, the stories from the, you know, when we grew up and the people he, they rub shoulders with and stuff like that. I find those stories a lot more interesting. Uh, okay. Matthew Quinlan, one of our, our other listeners, sent over an email, I'm summarizing, but basically he's noticed that a lot of our guests, especially lately, fall into two camps. Either one, they're very humble and grateful for their experience, kind of like a Johnny Edwards would have been, or they're wanting to set the record straight, kind of like a Prescott Niles would have been. And have I ever noticed that? And I have not ever noticed that, but you are right. There are often people who want to come on and sort of have their own agenda, especially Prescott was like that. Art, Alex Akis may have been like that a little bit. Wanting to, they have things they want to make sure are heard and get said. And then there are others who are just grateful that they had a chance on the ride for a little while. I'd never picked up on that before, Matthew, but that's really insightful. And then he wants to know how the UK-specific episodes are received. Um, kind of like Embrace. Remember earlier this year, I had Steve Firth from Embrace on, who are one of my favorite bands of the last 20 years. They Their first album came out in 99, so I felt like they still met the criteria of being on the show. Uh-huh. Um, some of those episodes are received well. Embrace shared it with their fans, so that one really took off. Another one that was kind of like that was Mulu. Um, Andrew and Laura from Mulu. Or, I'm sorry, Alan and Laura from Mulu. That, they were another obscure British 90s band that I really liked that I wanted to share. That one... They didn't share it and uh, didn't really took off. I think it probably confused a lot of people. Like, who is this trip hop group that I've never heard of that put out one album and disappeared? And, um, I get it, but I really love that music. So there are a lot of bands I've thought about. In fact, um, so in the summer of 1996, me and some friends went backpacking around Europe. It, but it wasn't some long all summer thing. It was for like 10 days in between uh, the end of winter semester and summer semester at college. So we were gone 10 days and I think we did like five countries in 10 days. And one of the people on this backpacking trip was named Helen Jacobson and Helen and I know each other because we both lived uh, in Cambridge at different times and became friends with Yan and your family, Yan. So, Helen and I became friends, and when we when we went, we got some other friends together and went on this backpacking trip. We started the the trip off and ended the trip at your house. In fact, I remember specifically you and I staying up to like four o'clock in the morning my last night there, talking about girls and uh, life and whatever else. So on that trip, I don't know if you even remember this. This was 1996, June of 96. So on that, okay. So I remember sitting in your room, you're on the computer. I think I even have a picture of us hanging out. So on that trip, I was in an HMV CD store and on one of the listener um, listening stations, you guys have the best compilation CDs. Those Now that's what I call music numbers one through a hundred or whatever they are. Those all originated in the UK and you guys are great at it. Well, you have this series or did back then called the best CD in the world ever. And um, I, they had all these great Britpop bands of the 90s, Embrace being one of them, Oasis, obviously, Blur, all these bands that I really was into at the time. And I bought all of those. There were like six or seven of those. And I have thought about having other – oh, wait. I don't know if I 
Oh, I'm answering his question before I've told you what it is. What other UK acts would I like to have on the show? I guess Matthew was from the UK. I have thought about going after more of those kind of obscure 90s Britpop acts, bands like Cast and Ocean Color Scene, but I'm afraid no one knows Saint Etienne, Dubstar. These are some of the bands I got really into on those things. I don't think anyone knows who those bands are, and I don't know if they care. So I might do it when I get a hankering for it, but I may not. So there's that. Okay. And if, for, for our non-UK listeners, HMV is His Master's Roy. Mm. Good point. Yes, HMV would have been like the Tower Records or the Virgin Records of CD stores back in the day. Yeah, I forgot to mention. And their logo was a dog. Yeah, the dog with the gramophone or whatever it's called. Yeah, that was it. Um, okay, let's see. Last question. Oh, before you before we oh, finish yeah, up yeah. on that one, Matthew asked about the how the UK episodes are received. Our biggest ever in terms of downloads is a UK band. Mm-hmm. That's right. Who is it? Level 42. That's right. I wondered if people would know that. And it's like more than double or maybe even triple the next one. I think it goes level 42, Mike Lindup of level 42. And then I think Robin Clark is second. And um, we got really lucky with them because they put their, they put this interview on their website for like six months. So it was getting downloaded like a hundred times a day or more for months and months and months. It was great. Those were good days. Um, look for them in an upcoming poll, by the way. I was going to say about those polls, I keep them on a, on my phone. I have like a list of them. And every Tuesday I go in and I load up the next week's worth of polls. And um, so I still have, and I'm trying to only do each artist once. Um, eventually when I'm, when I run out of everybody one time, I might do brackets or I might move on to songs or albums or whatever. But right now I'm trying to just feature each artist one time in a poll. And that one is on the list level 42. Okay. Last question. Michael Bagford, good old Michael Bags. Has there been anyone I became a bigger fan or less of a fan after the interview? Um, have you thought about that? Is there anyone, I mean, you, I know, I know more about these people often than you do, but is there anyone that you came away with? Like, I loved that. I didn't know them very well before and I love them after. Yeah. Quite a few. <laughs> yeah. I how thought so. <laughs> how much time do we have? No. Yeah. That's what I thought. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, there's, there's been some, some, some absolutely great artists that we've had on that have gone out and I have to have that album. I have to have that album after the after the episode. And one one of the biggest ones like that was was Walter from King Swamp. Oh, yeah, Walter Ray, King Swamp. Yep. Yeah, that was a good one. I keep meaning to see if he'll come back and do a deep dive of that album with me. Yeah, and I've got an interesting question. Hmm. And this one isn't for for you or I. This one's for our listeners. Since we've just had Christmas, what do you associate with Christmas music? Ooh. What's your favorite Christmas music? That's a really good question. I like that. When this comes out, you should post that question maybe on Facebook or, or I'll do it on Twitter or whatever. 
And I'm curious what kind of responses we get. Do you have a favorite? What's yours? I, I listen to, um, for Christmas music, I listen to the, more of the classical stuff. Mm, okay. And one of, one of my favorites. And so when I was, when I was in France for, for Christmas, I was sat there singing it with my brother-in-law's dad in French. I was mm. singing uh, Minuit Chrétien. <laughs> Which is uh, that's great. The, oh, holy night. Uh-huh. I was sitting singing that in French with my brother-in-law's dad. That's great. And my sister was playing it on the on her phone over the speaker. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, I was on the uh, Pods and Sods recently doing a six-pack of Christmas songs. You, most of you probably heard that. If you didn't, um, my two very favorite Christmas albums. Number one is The Chieftains' Bells of Dublin album from 1991 and my second favorite is george winston's december album i think from 1981 and those are both more in the sort of tranquil traditional um reverential maybe even borderline religious uh uh, angle of christmas music but i love it those are my two very favorites anyone i became a bigger fan of or less of a fan after the interview I wouldn't say no one really, it's not that I ever am less of a fan. I do get so burnt out listening to certain people to get ready to talk to them that I don't need to listen to them again for a while. Um, One of the ones that I think about a lot is I think I still think one of our very best episodes with Steve Kilby of the church. And I like the church a lot and I have a lot of their stuff, but I didn't have all of it. And so, and he has a ton of like side projects and solo albums and stuff like that. So when I was getting ready to talk to him, I tried to absorb as much church music as I could that I didn't already know. And I kind of burnt myself out because I haven't listened to the church since then. And that was a year and a half ago, two years ago. And it's not that I don't love the church. I do, but I listened to so much church getting ready for him that, uh, I just don't listen to it. I I haven't had a need. And that's something I found. I rarely, I have, a, I'm finally at that point in my life where I can't keep up on new music anymore. And I'm not even very good sometimes at keeping up on the new music by the bands I like, because every spare moment I have to listen to music, I'm listening to someone that I'm getting ready to interview and uh, that I don't know all their stuff. And so I, that's where all my free music listening to time goes now is researching this. Um, there are plenty of people that I became a bigger fan of. One of the ones that comes to mind, believe it or not, was Casey and the Sunshine Band. I, uh, we had Harry Wayne on here, Harry Wayne Casey, and it was a long time ago, but it, and it, we only got him for like a half hour. But I, um, I knew the hits. Everyone knew, knew, knows the hits, but I wouldn't say I knew every deep track on every album. And I went to get ready and listen to it, and I fell in love with all of it. And you guys know that I love disco. And I came away from that really thinking that Harry Wayne Casey was kind of a musical genius. I mean, I talked about this. Um, who was it we had recently? Ron Nevison, I think, probably. He just, Harry had his finger on the pulse of 70s music, unlike anyone else. Maybe Barry Gibb of the Bee Gees is the other guy who had his finger on the pulse of the 70s disco movement, as well as Harry Wayne Casey did. So I came away loving like every deep track on every Casey and the Sunshine album. So anyway, that's probably it for me. Okay. Well, this was, uh, this was another year. So 
Thanks for everyone who listens. Thanks to the people, huge thanks to the people like Paul Underwood and Andy Shaw and Bill Elam and Brad Page and Carrie Carlson and all the wonderful people who support us by sharing our episodes or producing episodes or getting the word out on episodes or whatever. Write reviews, um, engage with us on social media. We are so grateful for all of you that do that. I feel like I know so many of you just because you comment a lot on the things that we put out there. In fact, there's a, I worry sometimes. Sometimes I'll get to know somebody really well, and then I won't see that. You know, a year goes by, and I'll realize I, never, I haven't heard from so-and-so listener for so long. Did they disappear? Do they not like us anymore? Did they die? Are they not on social media? I don't know. And so I wonder where people go when they disappear. But anyway, I hope you all know that we uh, are conscientious of all of you, and we – we try to respond to all the messages and all the emails and the tweets and the posts. And so thank you for everyone who listens. You know, right? Absolutely. And if I could if I could just encourage more people to share, that would be fantastic. Yep. We would appreciate it. I still feel like we do really important work here. Um, in fact, when during that down period, I guess I've done this before. I was sort of I was emailing with Brad Page and I was like, I don't know, man, I think I'm done. And here I'm thinking I'm kind of dropping a bomb on him. And I come to find out, I guess I complain to him every time I feel that way. And I felt that way a few times in the past. And so Brad, I'll never forget it. He replies and it's something like, oh, boo hoo. It's so hard to interview rock stars, isn't it? And document rock music history. Boo hoo, poor John. And I thought I needed that. I needed that slap in the face because it's like, yes, we're doing really great work here. What am I you know, hung up on? Anyway, thank you, Brad, for smacking me out of it. Uh, okay, we're going to close out song. We always like to close it out with a song by one of our listeners. Normally, I try to play something that you can purchase on iTunes or anywhere else. I don't think you can purchase this one. This is from one of our listeners named Robert Lawler. And this is a song called 80s Daydream. And he sent me the link to it months ago. It's on YouTube. But he has put out a couple of albums. You can buy them on iTunes. Again, it's L-A-W-L-O-R, Robert Lawler. And um, they're great. But I wanted to, I like this song, and he spent sent it specifically to be played forever ago, but I don't think you can buy it. So just go to YouTube and type in Robert Lawler, 80s Daydream, and you'll hear this song. And it's great. Uh, that's it for me. Is that it for you, Yan? Yeah, that's it for me. Okay. Bye, everybody. Thank you.